Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. Palmolive soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. They say that everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. Well, Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High Summer School, tried to disprove this theory last week. Yes, I made up my mind to at least stop talking about the weather. But last Wednesday morning, while I was having breakfast with Mrs. Davis, my landlady, I found that I'd been harboring a utopian dream. Phew! Hot enough for you, Connie. Yes, thanks. Plenty. I read in the paper where it's been hot all over the country during the past few days. Death Valley has been well over 120 degrees all week long. I'm glad you told me. I'll wear something light if I go there. (laughs) Come to think of it, dear old Madison High will be pretty much like Death Valley today. Wouldn't be so bad if our beloved principal, Osgood Conklin, wasn't nosing around. You're being over-pessimistic, Connie. I'm sure that on a day like today, Mr. Conklin will just sit in his office fanning himself. That would be nice. Sure, that's probably just what he'll do. And who knows, he may even fan himself with something real heavy and go too fast and miss. Oh, stop dreaming, you silly girl. I guess Mr. Conklin will be with me always. My sister Angela has a wonderful recipe for keeping cool. You've um, heard me mention Angela, haven't you, Connie? Many times, Mrs. Davis, but not lately. How is she? Pretty well, poor dear. But she's so absent-minded. Yes, I know. But what's the recipe, Mrs. Davis? Recipe? Yes, for keeping cool. You said your sister had a good one? My sister. (laughs) Yes, Angela. Oh, her. Poor thing, she's so (laughs) absent-minded. But she has a wonderful recipe for keeping cool. I don't believe it. Why not? All right, I do believe it. Good. Well, I'll stack the dishes now and wash them later. Please, Mrs. Davis, the recipe for keeping cool. What is it? Oh, yes. First, Angela fills a tub with ice cubes. Then she puts in four gallons of apple cider, six lemons, three oranges, and a half bottle of maraschino cherries. And how many of these do you have to drink before you don't mind the heat anymore? (laughs) Oh, Angela doesn't drink it. She sits in it. (laughs) Serves me right for asking. Well, I might as well go all the way now. Why the maraschino cherries? I asked the same question, Connie, and Angela said she doesn't know, but she tried it without them, and somehow it just wasn't the same. I see. Well, so much for the world of sports. (laughs) Oh, that must be Walter Denton. He's giving me a list of school this morning. Come in, Walter. I left the latch off for him. Good morning, Miss Brooks, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Walter. Good morning, Walter. (laughs) Gee, I didn't mean to get here right in the middle of your breakfast. I know. You meant to get here right before we started. (laughs) Sit down, Walter. 
Would you like a bite of breakfast, Walter? Oh, I don't want you to fuss. I'll just nibble at what's on the table. Quick, Mrs. Davis, put your hands behind your back. <laughs> if you'll excuse me now, I have some laundry to finish. Okay, Mrs. Davis. Phew, looks like today's gonna be another scorcher, Miss Brooks. Gosh, I didn't fall asleep last night until this morning. <laughs> well, cheer up, Walter. We'll be in class soon. You've never had any trouble falling asleep there. <laughs> I will today. This heat is absolute... Ah, oh, there you go, teasing me again. No, honestly, Miss Brooks, I tossed and turned for hours last night. Even after three cold showers, my pajamas still stuck to me. That's what I like, a loyal pair of pajamas. <laughs> if you were that wakeful, Walter, why didn't you catch up on some of your required reading? Well, I tried to, but that just made it worse. Why? What did you read? Dante's Inferno. <laughs> Yeah, but the reason I came over so early this morning, Miss Brooks, was to suggest something that'll make your classroom seem much cooler during the dog days that lie ahead. What do you want to do, Walter? Put a St. Bernard on my desk? <laughs> oh, no, ma'am, not a St. Bernard. Just evasive pussy willows. If you'll give me permission to leave during class, I'll go out to Phillips Farm and get a nice bunch of them for you. Phillips Farm? Isn't that where Phillips Pond is located? Yes, ma'am. Better known as the old swimming hole? Say, come to think of it, there is an old swimming hole out there. You know, I forgot all about it. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm also sure that the, you're only wearing that bathing suit under your shirt in case a pussy willow goes berserk and rips your clothes off. <laughs> well, Walter, you'll have to be a little more inventive if you want to cut school today. Oh, I wasn't thinking of cutting school, Miss Brooks. Oh, not alone, that is. You want me to go with you? I want us all to go. You see, Harriet Conklin and I figured you wouldn't tumble for the pussy willow routine, so we got another ace in the hole ready. You want to hear it? Deal. <laughs> well, as principal of Madison, Harriet's old man can... Uh, that is, Mr. Conklin can suspend school for the day if he considers the heat excessive. But, Walter, you know what a rugged individual Mr. Conklin likes to think he is. He won't admit the heat's excessive until the rest of us are nothing but little pools floating around our shoes. <laughs> well, that's our ace, Miss Brooks. Harriet told me why her father is so heat-resistant. He keeps a little electric fan stashed in his desk drawer, and no matter how hot it is in the rest of the school, he's reliably comfortable. Well, what can anybody do about that? Well, plenty. Now that you're in this thing as deep as we are... Uh, just a minute, Walter. <laughs> I am not, as you say, in as deep as you are. But I'm interested, so keep shoveling. <laughs> well, as you know, Mr. Conklin hates my gu... <laughs> Mr. Conklin isn't too crazy about me. Yes, I know. Hence, it is logical to assume that if caught prowling about his office during school hours, nothing more might be heard of me but a small gurgling noise. As for Harriet, she can't leave her classroom either. Q-E-D. It's you or nobody. You mean, in a word, sabotage. I'm sure you've heard of the expression, I'll fix his wagon. Yes. Well, we want you to break his fan. <laughs> oh, no, please, Walter. That's going too far. I realize it's a terribly warm day, but the most I could possibly do is talk to Mr. Conklin. That's it. I'll reason with him. I'll tell him how uncomfortable it is in the classrooms, and then I'll point out how refreshing a little holiday would be for all of us. 
Then I'll bring up the renewed vigor with which we'd return to our duties tomorrow. And then? Then I'll wait till he isn't looking and break his fan. <laughs> I'm glad we got to school early, Miss Brooks. It'll give you a chance to get into Mr. Conklin's office before he gets here. But, Walter, how do you know he isn't here already? Well, look, the door of his office is ajar. If he was here, it'd be shut tight. Now, go ahead, Miss Brooks. Wreck the old goat's fan. <laughs> Please, Walter. Just because we disagree with some of Mr. Conklin's policies is no reason to be disrespectful. Remember, he's still the principal of Madison High School. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. Now, go on in and close the door behind you. I'll stand guard out here. All right. I'd better work fast. The old goat will be in any minute. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, I didn't know that you were here. Uh, good morning, sir. How do you feel? Oh, not so bad. <laughs> I just came in to see that your windows were open. Pretty hot today, don't you think? No hotter than any other hot day? Oh, I think it is. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about, Mr. Conklin. May I sit down for a moment? I suppose so, but please be brief, Miss Brooks. Very well, Mr. Conklin. There. Uh, you're practically in my lap. Do you have to sit so close to me, Miss Brooks? Yes, you meet a better class of weather over here. <laughs> I mean, uh, you have the authority to suspend classes during excessively hot weather, haven't you, Mr. Conklin? I believe so, but I have no intention of taking advantage of such authority. I have long believed that weather is nothing but a state of mind. I work as diligently during the summer months as any of the students here or any of the faculty, for that matter. The fact is, we're all in the same boat. I know, but some of us are closer to the propeller than others. <laughs> Just what are you driving at, Miss Brooks? Well, it looks like it's going to be another very hot day, Mr. Conklin, and it's very difficult to teach under those conditions, or to learn anything for that matter. I realize that fully, but after all, summer school lasts only so long. How very considerate of you, Mr. Conklin, so long. Yeah. <laughs> Sit down, Miss Brooks. I see no reason to interrupt the regular routine of this institution. You don't hear me complaining, and after all, I'm considerably older than you are. You must admit that. Readily. <laughs> Until I find the temperature unbearable, then, it will be business as usual at Madison. Now, go to your class, Miss Brooks, and forget about the weather. All right, Mr. Conklin, but I've certainly got to hand it to you. I think it's wonderful the way you carry on in spite of the many discomforts that confront us all. I uh, always try to do my duty, Miss Brooks, surmounting each obstacle as I come to it. Of course, I'm always open to constructive suggestions. I know you are, Mr. Conklin, and I have one for you right now. Really? What is it, Miss Brooks? I suggest that you move your chair back a few inches from the bottom drawer of your desk. What's that? If you don't, that fan is going to blow your socks up around your neck. <laughs> Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. For bare skin beauty, it's bath size palm olive with its famous beauty lather. Yes, bath size palm olive for loveliness all over. There's something thrillingly new in this wonderful beauty lather of bath size palm olive soap. New fragrance, new charm, new allure. See if palm olive in your daily tub or shower doesn't leave your shoulders, arms, and back. Yes, all of you softer and smoother. Completely lovelier all over. You're thrilled to the tender whisper of perfume it leaves on your skin. 
A whisper that says, come hither to romance. And this new bath-sized palm olive is so big, so thrifty, economical to use because it lasts so long and gives so much soft, lovely lather so fast. That soft, lovely lather with its alluring new fragrance is palm olive soaps alone. Palm olive's famous beauty lather. Yes, a new fragrance, new charm, new allure that can make every woman a vision of delight in the new revealing fashions that show so much more of you. So remember, for bare skin beauty, it's bath-sized palm olive with its famous beauty lather. Yes, bath-sized palm olive for loveliness all over. Get bath-sized palm olive soap tomorrow. Men folk love it, too. <laughs> Well, in spite of the steadily mounting heat, I got my first class underway and was about to embark on a question period when I noticed a mild commotion toward the back of the room. It centered around Stretch Snodgrass, Madison's star athlete, very definitely a three-letter man. Scholastically, he's a three-letter man, too. After reciting A, B, and C, he's very definitely dead. <laughs> anyway, I hurried down the aisle to see what all the buzzing was about. Step back. Give him air. What's going on here? It's Stretch, Miss Brooks. He can't stand the heat. He just sort of groaned and slumped down in his seat. He's in a dead faint. A dead faint? Yeah, a dead faint. <laughs> nice to hear from you, Stretch. <laughs> Let me open your shirt collar. Oh, no, Miss Brooks. Don't open it. I don't it. know why you button it on a day like today, anyhow. Oh, please, Miss Brooks. Don't open my you shirt. You just I... be quiet. There. Well, no wonder you didn't want your shirt opened. Embroidered undies. <laughs> and what a lovely sentiment on your undershirt Crystal Lake Bathhouse <laughs> If not returned by 6 p.m., another day will be charged for <laughs> Charged for? Stretch, this is awful What is, Miss Brooks? Ending a bathing suit with a preposition <laughs> Now, what is all this painting about? He can't take it, Miss Brooks The heat's too much for him And he's a great athlete, Miss Brooks Gosh, when Stretch caves in, can the rest of us be far behind? You stay out of this, Walter. I don't want to appear abrupt with you, Stretch, if you're really distressed, but that bathing suit under your shirt militates against the legitimacy of your faint. You must admit that. Oh, sure. I admit that. Good. What does it mean? <laughs> we might as well own up. It was a plot, Miss Brooks. We thought if Stretch keeled over, Daddy would have to suspend classes for the day. Harriet Conklin, I'm surprised at you, tricking your own father. wonder if it would work. <laughs> I'm afraid I'll have to punish you rather severely, young lady. Gosh, Miss Brooks, what are you going to do? I'm going to make you march into your father's office and tell him about Stretch's fainting. What? You mean you're willing to go along with a gag? No sense in wasting Stretch's bathing suit. <laughs> My talking to Daddy wouldn't do any good, Miss Brooks. He caught me taking a bathing suit out of the closet this morning. What bathing suit? The little check job that's peeking over her blouse. <laughs> the logical person to complain about Stretch's condition is Mr. Boynton. Yeah, Mr. Boynton. Welcome back, Stretch. <laughs> hey, the bashful biologist might carry some weight at that. Sure. If he'd go and explain to Mr. Conklin biologically how this heat is ruining one of our pupils, he'd have to let us off. You might have something there, Walter. Yes, I think Mr. Boynton's our man. Want me to go and get him, Miss Brooks? I'll be glad to go, Miss Brooks. Me too, Miss Brooks. No, children, I'll make the sacrifice. 
I'll get Mr. Boynton and bring him back here. Harriet, you and Walter take Stretch into the hall and start fanning him with a handkerchief. Okay, Miss Brooke. Just walking down to the lab should cool you off a little. Believe me, Walter, going to see Mr. Boynton is no way for me to cool off. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to call you out of your class, Mr. Boynton, but it's really a small-type emergency. Stretch Snodgrass has been acting strangely all morning. Well, what's the matter with Stretch? Is he sick? Not really sick. I think he's just got a touch of tightening of the bathing suit. Uh, he's sort of weak in the head this morning. This morning, she says. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's just a... Oh, here we are. I told Harriet and Walter to bring him out in the hall. It's cooler. Oh, hello, kids. Hi, Hi Mr. Mr. Boynton. Boynton. What's the matter, Stretch, old boy, old boy? Oh, I feel punk, Mr. Boynton. It's his heat. It makes me feel so, so... hot. That's a shame. It, it is a scorcher today, all right. Yeah, it's a lulu. Oh, it seems a shame to keep kids indoors in this kind of weather. Say, I've got an idea. Why doesn't somebody ask Mr. Conklin to suspend classes for today? Boy, that's a swell idea. That's super, boy. Boy, what a great idea, boy. Well, what do you think, Miss Brooks? Boy. <laughs> All right, I'll do it right now. Oh, go ahead, Mr. Boynton. Daddy's office door is wide open. I can see it from here. We'll sure appreciate it, Mr. Boynton. Well, how about you, Miss Brooks? Do you want to come along? No, Mr. Boynton. I'll stay out here to catch you. Uh, watch you. <laughs> I'll be back in a minute with it may not take that long. Oh, I hope we're doing the right thing. I'd hate to get Mr. Boynton in any trouble. Oh, Daddy's extremely fond of Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooke. That's about the only thing Daddy and I have in common. <laughs> but Mr. Conklin won't fall for this story about Stretch. I know he won't. Well, he might, Miss Brooks. After all, he'd get the day off, too. And it is pretty uncomfortable in school today. You forget, Walter. Mr. Conklin has Whirling Tom in his bottom drawer. <laughs> Here comes Mr. Boynton. You boil some water, Harriet. I'll tear my skirt into bandages. That didn't take very long, did it? Well, he's still conscious anyway. What did he say, Mr. Boynton? He refused to suspend classes, Miss Brooks, but oh. he did give me permission to take Stretch along with me. Take Stretch along where with you? On a little field trip, Mr. Conklin, just okayed for my science class. I thought it'd be nice on a day like today to observe the flora and fauna in their native habitat, so I'm taking my bunch out to Phillips Farm. Phillips Farm? But what about us? Yeah, we're not in your science class this morning. Well, I'm sorry about that, Walter. Maybe some other time. I've never had an idea backfire so fast in my life. Oh, this is awful. I don't know why you're all so excited. What's so special about Phillips Farm? A few straggly bushes, some straggly pussy willows? A straggly old swimming hole? <laughs> hey, come to think of it, there is a swimming hole on that property, isn't there? No. Let's see now, where is it located again? It's located midway between flora and fauna and approximately ten paces to the right of the bathing suit that's hanging over your shirt collar. <laughs> we gotta work fast, Miss Brooks. Harriet may not be able to keep her father out of the office much longer. That was a good idea she had, to put those bells on her bicycle and make believe she's a good humor man. Yeah, <laughs> He never could resist the ice cream wagon. If he'll just follow those bells long enough, we'll get it so hot in here by the time he comes back, he'll just have to call it quits. I've got all the windows nailed down. Now let's fix, fix that fan, huh? I took it out of the drawer, Miss Brooks. Here, let's stick this big pencil in the blaze while they're whirling around. All right. <laughs>
Anybody want six little pencils? <laughs> I'd better pull the plug out. There. Now we've just hide this in the closet. Here, uh, put it under all this junk in the corner. I'll eat. Hey, look at this, Miss Brooks. An electric heater. Well, what do you know? Just the thing to make Mr. Conklin's office nice and cozy. <laughs> Kids stretch, hey, Mr. Boynton, stretch. Huh? Come on in here a minute. Well, Walter, what are you doing in here, Miss Brooks? Yes, what are you doing with that heater? We're going to hide it in the closet so Mr. Conklin doesn't see it while it gradually turns his office into a Turkish bath. Right, Miss Brooks? We'll split the towel concession. <laughs> Give us a hand with it, will you, Mr. Boynton? It's pretty heavy. We'll put it way back here behind these clothes and things. Well, sure, Miss Brooks, but isn't this a pretty risky proposition? Supposing Mr. Conklin comes back while... You don't have to suppose. He's coming down the corridor now. Boom! Quick, Stretch! Get into the closet with Mr. Boynton and Miss Brooks! In the closet, no, but... Don't argue. I'll get rid of Mr. Conklin for you. Now hurry! Oh, I've ice cream wagon in my life. I... Denton, what are you doing by my closet? Oh, just closing it, sir. I, I didn't want you to be caught in a draft. I mean, I came in to ask you something about Phillip's farm. I've been waiting and... Where have you been, Mr. Conklin? Me? I was just chasing away that confounded ice cream man. Too tempting for the students. Oh. <laughs> what kind of a looking fellow would you say you was, Mr. Conklin? Oh, just a big stupid-looking oaf with a black mustache. But you mentioned Phillip's farm. Are you the student Mr. Boynton's taking out there because of the heat? Me? Phillips Farm? Fainting in class, indeed. He didn't mention any names, but I knew it was some weak-kneed, lily-livered creature like yourself, Denton. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. I have the most lily-like liver in town, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Don't you think I'd better go now before I topple over again? By all means, Denton, the quicker the better. Gee, thanks, Mr. Conklin. I guess in a case like this, it's every man for myself. <laughs> so long, Chief. Chief. <laughs> oh, I should have known better than to chase ice cream wagons with my blood pressure. Better hang my coat up and scurry back to my fan. Mm, pitch dark in this confounded closet. Here, I'll take your coat, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Thank you, boy. <laughs> now, handle it carefully, please. It's a rather expensive garment. I wouldn't want it. Thank you what, boy? <laughs> What's going on in this closet? Come on in. We're having a weenie roast. <laughs> Disguising your voice won't save you. Come out into the light where I can see you. Well, it's only me, Mr. Conklin. Stretch Snodgrass. Well, close the door behind you. That closet feels like a Turkish bath. Yes, sir. Now then, what were you doing in my closet, Snodgrass? Well, I thought you'd ask that question, Mr. Conklin. Luckily, I can give you a very good explanation. Oh, you can. <laughs> well, what is your explanation? Come, come, boy, out with it. You'll have to give me more time, Mr. Conklin. I'm not very bright. That is, it's the heat, Mr. Conklin. I was looking for the gym and stumbled through the wrong door. Then I'd better escort you to the right door. Come with me, boy. Yes, sir. Never seen anything like it. A warm day comes along the whole week. 
I'm suffocating in this closet. What do we do? Don't worry about a thing, Mr. Boynton. Just turn over every ten minutes and I'll base you. <laughs> this is no time for levity, Miss Brooks. If only we... Please, Mr. Boynton, you shouldn't complain. At least you're next to the door. I'm right next to a burning heater. Now, quiet. Mr. Conklin's coming back. Oh, my coat. Better hang it up in that Turkish bath. Uh, closet. <laughs> now, if I could just see where the crossbar is. Oh, here, let me get out of your way, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Boynton. Now, there we are. Nice and neat. I was just on my way to Phillips Farm, Mr. Conklin. If you'll excuse me, I'll run along. We'll go right ahead, Boynton. Have a nice time. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, now that Mr. Boynton is gone, I can relax. Now that Mr. Boynton has gone... <laughs> what was he doing in my closet in the first place? <laughs> There's something funny going on around here. I'd better get my coat and follow him. Oh, here it is. I'll hold it for you while you slip it on. <laughs> no, thanks. I can slip it on myself. <laughs> now, I'll get to the bottom of this thing if... I you can slip it on myself! <laughs> Step out here, Miss Brooks. Now, would you be good enough to tell me what's drawing the crowds to my closet? <laughs> The moths are having an aquacade. <laughs> it's just a childish prank, Mr. Conklin. The schoolrooms are quite stuffy, so we thought we'd make it hot for you. I mean, uh, some of us thought classes should be suspended today, and we hid your fan and closed the windows so that you'd latch on quicker. Well, I'm latched on thoroughly now, Miss Brooks. You've explained most of the day's madness admirably. But one more thing. Yes? Could you explain those rings of smoke curling from beneath my closet door? Smoke? Oh, my, it's, it's the heater. Your coat must have caught fire. What? I'll go get some water right away. Just make yourself comfortable, Mr. Conklin. Comfortable? Where are you going for that water, Miss Brooks? Phillips Swimming Hole. Where else? <laughs> As our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first, dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, yes, tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Luster cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives K. Dumas magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Not a soap, not a liquid. Luster Cream Shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Even in hardest water, Luster Cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a Luster Cream Shampoo. So gentle, Luster Cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl, you owe your crowning glory to a 
Mr. Clean Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, he huffed and he puffed and he blew out the fire in his closet. But I left the premises before Mr. Conklin could huff and puff at me. I didn't think it was fair for me to bear the brunt of our beloved principal's wrath, and I was soon declaring myself from the banks of Philip's swimming hole. It isn't all of you running out on me that hurts. It's, it's the fact that you knew all the time, every one of you, that you'd wind up out here today. Gee, I feel like a heel, Miss Brooks. Help me up on the bank and I'll go back and face Mr. Conklin with you right now. All right, Walter. The most shameful part of the whole thing is the fact that it was all premeditated. Grab my hand, Walter. Yeah. Up you go now. Walter, look out! You're pulling Miss Brooks in! And with all her clothes on! <laughs> Don't worry about it, Harriet. I've got a bathing suit on underneath. Next week, we're into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Climatic Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Worcester Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. It's new, it's amazing, an ammoniated dentifrice that helps prevent tooth decay and tastes good, too. That's Colgate Ammoniated Tooth Powder, created in Colgate's research laboratories. Colgate Ammoniated Tooth Powder contains the revolutionary ingredients that help prevent new cavities in a dentifrice that tastes refreshingly minty, foams freely, cleans teeth effectively. Get Colgate Ammoniated Tooth Powder now. Economical four-ounce size, only 43 cents. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, Columbia Broadcasting System. For a Christian sci-fi with humor, adventure and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. Travel with Jarl through the universe and several dimensions as he unearths items to help those struggling to survive on Earth during the catastrophic conclusion of the age. GraceGrows.com has more information. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey by Grace S. Gross. Adventure. Tonight we present The Gun by Anthony Robbins. The gun was an M16A1 rifle manufactured in the United States in 1967. 
.22 caliber, gas-operated, magazine-fed, capable of semi-automatic and fully automatic fire. It was a meter in length and weighed just under three kilograms. It was shipped out to Vietnam early in 1968, and before returning four years later, it had killed 23 North Vietnamese soldiers, 11 Viet Cong guerrillas, two peasant farmers, three women, and a six-month-old baby. In 1973, the gun was stolen, and over the next seven years, it added a petrol pump attendant, a liquor store owner, and two New York policemen to its list of victims. In 1981, it resurfaced in Northern Ireland. Then came the wealthy businessman, the UDA man, and an IRA informant. When its owner died of a heart attack a year later, his wife sold it to a relative to pay for the funeral. The relative, Ron Finnegan, occasionally dabbled on the black market, operating from a sweet shop in Manchester. For three years, the gun gathered dust on his storeroom shelf. It lay muzzle up between a case of chocolate bars and a case of Russian-made hand grenades. That was until Ron received a check in the post for £250. It was accompanied by a note with the words, Payment as agreed. And below that, a name and address, John Green, Yew Tree House near Fordingham, Devon. The name was false, but the address was genuine enough. Someone at Yew Tree House intended adding another four names to the gun's already impressive death toll. Gunston, superbikes at Ball Door. You scratch hard round the bend, turn it on to 270Ks and you're out front, untouchable. You're close to the things men rate great, like Gunston Toasted. Gunston cigarettes are made from the best tobaccos a man can get for that rich, rewarding toasted taste. Get closer to flavor with Gunston Toasted. Van Tommy Dell, die oorkamer Sigman. Met die strelende stem van C.S. Reiniger. Op zijn nietste langspeler, Macy. Macy is je leven. Zonder mij ook alleen. Als jij op sproeikjes verliefd was, zal jij pianafees voor C.S. Reinikers en nieuwe Macy. Geen slechts 9.49 exclusief bij alle oorkaplaten toonbanken aan landwijk. Yew Tree House was owned and run by the research department of Lincoln Electronics. Once the large rambling residence of a country squire, it had now been converted into the headquarters of a top research team. Four men and one woman who together were responsible for the company's phenomenally successful line of microcomputers. After a fortnight's holiday, they began to return one by one to the country retreat. You around? Yes, in the lounge. Come on in, Dave. Stephen Hodgson was the project leader. Still a young man of 35, but going prematurely bald. And David Graham was an electronics expert. With his leather clothes and hair dyed bright green, he epitomized the unconventional approach that made Lincoln Computers market leaders. When did you arrive? Uh, a couple of hours ago. 
I wasn't expecting anyone else until tomorrow. <laughs> I was visiting a friend in Exeter, so I decided, what the hell, I'd arrive early for a change. Well, I'm glad you did. There's a whole heap of supplies to buy in the village. You can give me a hand. It's about time head office sent us some domestic help. We could do with some decent cooking around here. <laughs> yes, I did ask him about that, but, uh, well, there's too big a security risk. Oh. The less people who know what we are working on, the better. Which reminds me, where are your circuit charts? In the boot of the car. I've made a few improvements to the general design. Yeah, good. Now, if you give it to me, I'll lock it up in the safe before we go out. Righto. There was another break-in at head office last week. We just can't afford to take any risks. Ron Finnegan set about packing the gun. First, he wrapped it up in a recent copy of the Manchester Evening News. Emptying a carton of extra-strong mints, he placed the bundle inside. And before closing the lid, he scribbled out a note to the new owner. Finally, the carton was closed and wrapped in plain brown paper and tied with a length of string. On the way back from depositing the cheque in his private building society account, he stopped off at the post office. The postal charges came to three pounds. All told, not a bad day's work. Business was looking up. The first to arrive at Yew Tree House the following morning was Janet Gordon. She joined Lincoln Electronics shortly after gaining an engineering degree at Bristol. In what's generally considered a man's world, she excelled. So much so that at the age of 25, she was already one of the company's most prized employees. Hi. Enjoy your holiday? Lovely. I started off in New York, then California, where I got this tan... Then a coach trip right across the southern states, ending up in Miami. Mm. I enjoyed every minute of it. Well, you're all set for some intensive work, I hope. You bet. The gun arrived at the Royal Mail Central Sorting Depot in London early that morning, having spent an uncomfortable night in the mail car of the overnight train from Manchester. Hello. Hi, Damon. Have you just arrived? Yeah. How was the trip down? All right. Steve and Dave are in the kitchen making a bite to eat. You hungry? No. Some tea? Uh, no, thanks. Did you sort out the problem with the operating system? Sure. Good. We should be all set to go then. Mm -hmm. Steve will be pleased. That's right. Well, sit down. No, I'm going to put my bags away. Fine. But how about a smile, Damon? How's this? <laughs> Much better. Damon Harris was the youngest member of the team and a man of few words. Unlike all the others, he had no formal education, having left school at 16, because he couldn't stand his classmates. His talents were spotted by Lincoln Electronics when he wrote his first computer game for one of their earlier computers. The game spent months on the top of the bestsellers list and was described by the micro-press as revolutionary, the shape of things to come. In fact, it was so revolutionary that not even the designers of the computer could work out how it worked so to satisfy their curiosity, they decided to hire the youngster. Four years later, he was now a firmly entrenched member of their top research team. Half an hour later, the last member of the team arrived. Craig Williams was one of the few Welshmen without a sense of humour. 
He'd been with Lincoln Research as head programmer since its inception. That he'd been overlooked as project leader in favour of Stephen Hodgson was a constant irritation to him. Craig was older, more experienced and better qualified than Steve. All that kept him back was his moody disposition and the fact that none of the others liked him. He arrived in an even worse mood than usual. What do you mean by my responsibilities to the others? I haven't any. Now look, Craig, I don't want to argue with you again. I clearly stated before we took this holiday that everyone was to get all their own department sorted out before coming back. Now, the others have done that, but now you tell me that you still haven't finished. Well, that's fine for you. What do you ever do but throw your weight about? Now, look, I'm not going into all that again. You know the answer as well as I do. Don't make me laugh. Well, that would be downright impossible, wouldn't it? Okay, Steve. Tell me what you did over the past two weeks. You really want to know? Sure. All right. I made out a progress report to head office. In it, I said that they can expect results at the end of this month. And that's only five days away. I'll be ready by then. You better be. And after you made your report, what did you do then? That's none of your business. That's right. And what I did over the past two weeks is none of your business either. But I'll tell you anyway. I worked 16 hours a day non-stop. I'm glad to hear it. I bet you are. And you'll probably get all the credits as well. The parcel addressed to Yew Tree House was ready to embark on the 115 to Penzance. It lay on the platform among all the other westbound posts, waiting for the porter to finish his cup of tea. When he arrived, the porter's mind was more on which horse to pick in the fourth race at Doncaster than on the task in hand. He impatiently hurled the parcel into the compartment, neglecting to notice the handle-with-care warning. The resulting impact dislodged the safety catch on the rifle, and Ron's scribbled note slid in between pages six and seven of the Manchester Evening News, nestling up to the latest stock share prices. Over the past year, Lincoln Electronics' share value had almost doubled, and this was in stark contrast to their competitors. In particular, the British subsidiary of the Fairchild Corporation, whose latest computer had recently been branded as outmoded and an insult to the intelligence. Marcus Fairchild, the founder of the company, knew that something had to be done by fair means or foul, and he picked the latter option. Sitting behind his monstrous oak desk in a monolithic office block in New York, he waited for the phone to ring. Yeah? That's a call I've been waiting for, Maureen. Put it right through, will you? Hello? Speaking, how are you? Good. Are we going ahead as planned? Great. Have the others arrived yet? Yeah. Fine. Right, here's my end of the bargain. When you've done the job, phone 80678 in Exeter. That's right. There'll be a man waiting to pick you up at the house and take you to Heathrow. He has a new passport and a completely new set of documents for you. By the time anyone cottons on, you'll be out of the country. A fully-fledged U.S. citizen. Now for the money. I've opened an account in your new name, and as soon as I receive the plans, it'll be a million dollars to the good. Once we've gone into production, your commission will be 2% of all sales. Yeah, I know 2% doesn't sound like much, but I'm talking about millions here. How does that sound? Great. All settled. You won't regret it. I'm looking forward to meeting you again. When do you think it'll be, the, the job, I mean? Eh, tomorrow. Yeah. Excellent. The sooner the better. And goodbye to you. 
Maureen, I'm taking the rest of the day off. I know I've only just arrived, but what the heck? I'm going for a well-deserved round of golf. If any of the shareholders phone, tell them I'm in a meeting that's going to send Fairchild stock zooming. The Fordingham Post Office received the plane-wrapped parcel late that afternoon. It was shelved for the night, all set for delivery the following day. At Utree House, the newly arrived occupants slept well, except one who lay awake till the early hours, deep in thought. Not about last-minute doubts or whether to go through with it or not, but about how, when, and where. One million dollars down and two percent of sales. Now that was better than a lifetime with Lincoln Electronics. Sunshine dear, heerlijke smaak, plus die sonskyn vitamin wat ons lichaam in nodig het. Oh, wakker en kyk wat daar op jou vaag, een vrolijke laagdag, een sonskyn of reerdag, een dag vol van smaak, een lewe vol maak, ja. Sunshine dear, die margarine met sonskyn vitamin, kyk uit vir die groot rooi dier. Great American taste of world famous L and M filter cigarettes from Liggett and Myers. L and M, the rich tasting, flavor packed American. L and M, now made in your country. L and M filters in the red and white pack. Hi, Janet. Eating alone? The others have eaten already. But it's only eight o'clock. I think it's a new unwritten law. What do you mean? Well, you must have felt it. The atmosphere. Like something's going to explode. Oh, you mean Steve and Craig. But it's always like this. They'll get over it. Oh, I'm not so sure this time. You weren't here earlier. Why? What happened? Nothing. That's just it. Not a word was spoken. Oh, dear. Craig and Steve just scowled at each other. And you know how quiet Damon is. Mm. It was like being at a funeral. Thank heavens you're around to cheer me up. <laughs> what is it this time? Oh, same as usual, I'd say. Craig's resentment and Steve's insecurity. It's bloody ridiculous when you consider what the team's achieved since we've been together. You'd think they'd have grown up by now. Well, I don't know about you, but I think we'd all do a lot better without Craig. Steve I can get along with, but Craig... Well, it's impossible to have a conversation without him snapping at you. I know, but he's good at his job. That's just the problem. He's the best. And Steve knows it. Why can't they behave like normal human beings? Like us two, for example. <laughs> you? <laughs> normal? With green hair and earrings? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'm normal. All I want is to enjoy myself. Fun, excitement. Oh, and money. I've always had this obsessive desire to be a millionaire by my 30th birthday. Oh. I've only got a year left, you know. <laughs> Pass the sugar, please. Um, Craig, are you talking to me, sir? Yes. Well, all right, get on with it then. I'm busy, or haven't you noticed? I, um, 
I'd like to apologize. Don't tell lies. Steve, you don't want to apologize. You're just trying to get me to cooperate like a good little boy. Well, if that's the way you want to look at it, that's up to you. But I am sorry. I, I had no right to come down on you the way I did. It's a bit late for all this now, isn't it? The damage is done. What damage? Between you and me. There was very little between us in the first place. I don't like you, Craig. You're the most bitter and twisted person I've ever met. But it just so happens that we've both got our jobs to do. All I really care about is the success of this project. The feeling is entirely mutual, Steve. I hate you, too. I'm glad about that. Now, all I want from you is a short verbal report on the progress of the interpreter. Why didn't you just ask me that in the first place, then? Here we are. Floor charts are complete. Thank you. And these subroutines, complete and tested. Mm -hmm. And these fully explanatory notes on each. There may be a few spelling mistakes, but you can never tell. And here, a complete program listing, fully documented. So what's the problem? Well, there's a few bugs to be ironed out. Simple process of going through everything with a fine-tooth comb. In other words, bloody time-consuming. Yeah, but you don't have to be 100% at this stage. We can test it later. All I'm asking is to make sure that there's nothing wrong with the fundamental design of the interpreter, as long as it works. Of course it will work. There's just a few bugs, that's all. Great. At last, everything is coming together. <laughs> is he, Craig? It wasn't so difficult. Thanks. I don't need your thanks, Steve. I'm just doing my job, remember? Can I come in, Damon? Yeah. Uh, Steve asked me to tell you. Three o'clock in the lounge. What for? The meeting. I see. Mind if I sit down? If you like. Got your head stuck in a book again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's it about? War. War? That's right. American armed forces. I didn't know you were into war, Damon. I've got hundreds of war books at home. Gives me ideas. Ideas? For what? Computer games. Are you still writing them? When I get the chance. Do you like working here? <sighs> it's all right. I mean, as a team. Well, I prefer being alone. That's what I figured. When you're not working, you're always in here, reading. You never mix. I don't mean to pry, Damon, but why are you like that? <sighs> Does it matter? Yes, I think so. Some folks are different, suppose. And you're different? Yeah. Because you're from the north and we're all from the south? Maybe. Is it your education? Maybe. Shyness? Yeah, maybe. Well, it must be something. I suppose it must. Are you happy? So-so. Do you have ambitions? One. <laughs> and what's that? To live alone on a South Sea island. Really? Why all the questions? Well, I thought that after two years of virtual silence, we might at least become friends. Oh, I see. But somehow I don't think it's going to work. No, I don't think it will. Oh, well, it's been nice chatting to you, Damon. Uh, don't forget Steve's meeting at three. I won't. The bright red van crawled up the road leading to Yew Tree House. It was the last call on the postman's daily round. The plain-wrapped parcel wasn't the only post for Yew Tree House that day. There were five letters and three other parcels of various shapes and sizes. The postman rang the doorbell. Janet was in the kitchen making a bite of lunch. She went through into the hall, opened the front door, and relieved the weary man of his burden. Which you want to make? Oh, the table would do. Yeah. That's right. Oh, here's something for your trouble. Why, thank you, ma'am. Steve? Hmm? The post's arrived. I'll be right there. It was just after 8 a.m. in New York, and Marcus Fairchild felt strong, refreshed, and confident after his round of golf the previous day. He'd gone 18 holes with his accountant, and today he was ready to make his move on Wall Street. 
he phoned his stockbroker. Hi, Billy. Fine, fine. Yeah, she's fine, too. Listen, what price have you got on Fairchild stock? Twelve fifty. Hell, I didn't know it had sunk that low. Plenty of sellers and no buyers, eh? Well, that's just fine. Just fine. Sure, I'm in the market. <laughs> no, I'm perfectly sane. Here's what I want. Start buying 5000 at a time. That way it won't be noticeable. Phone me back when you've got a million's worth. You bet. But keep it to yourself for the time being. Sure. In another six months, we'll be back to $40 a share. I'll stake my life. There's always something exciting about the post, don't you think? Oh, I always dread it. Oh, not me. Presents, letters from long-lost friends, Valentine cards. All the things we look forward to always seem to arrive in the mail. <laughs> you know something, Janet? You're an incurable romantic. Mm, I know I am. Mm. <laughs> well, is there anything for me? No, it doesn't look like it. Uh, there's a letter for Damon. Oh, that'll be from his mother, probably. Uh, there's two for Dave. Oh, that'll be record catalogues. I don't know. Must be something important. He's been looking out for the post all morning. What's that? Uh, this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nothing that'll interest you. It's a phone bill. Oh. Mm. <laughs> there's one for me. From head office, by the looks of it. Well, what about the parcels? Well, let's see. Equipment. More equipment. Oh. Wait a minute. What's this? <laughs> Will you look at that? Champagne. Champagne? Yeah. Here's a card. Well, what does it say? Um, to the best in the business. Only to be drunk when the chip comes in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All our love, everybody at Lincoln Electronics. Oh, sweet. Yeah, isn't it? Well, mind you, I can't imagine Craig swilling down champagne, can you? It does seem to stretch the imagination a bit far. Hmm. What's that last one? Uh, let's see. It's uh, to John Green. I'll have to go back. Ah, just leave it there, and the next person who goes into the village can take it with them. Right. Well, that's it. Nothing for you, I'm afraid. So what? <laughs> I'll make do with a bottle of champagne when this is all over. Stephen Hodgson's arranged meeting lasted an hour and a half. To his surprise and delight, it went well, despite Craig's caustic remarks and Damon's customary silence. As far as Steve was concerned, the project had come to a successful end. Lincoln Model 10 was well and truly launched. Well, does anyone want to add anything before I crack open the champagne? <laughs> no, no, I don't not think really. So. All right, then. Here goes. Well, get the glasses ready. There we go. Watch there it. Go. It's going all over the oh. carpet. <laughs> Don't worry. You're going to have some, Craig? Bury the hatchet. I'd prefer a beer. Oh, you can't make a toast with a beer mug. Since you put it like that. Uh, what about you, Damon? Thanks. Right. Everybody ready? Mm -hmm. Steve, you do the honors. All right. <clears throat> uh, well, to the Lincoln Model 10. And to us. To the Lincoln, Lincoln Model, Model 10. 10. To us. Uh -huh. All together now. Oh, for we are jolly good fellows, for we are jolly good fellows, for we are jolly good fellows. While four sat drinking and talking in the lounge, a fifth left the room unnoticed and entered the kitchen. A pair of sweaty hands were rinsed under the sink and dried on a dishcloth. 
Firm and steady footsteps retraced the path into the hall and stopped at the table where the parcel lay waiting. The knotted string was undone, the plain brown paper ripped off, and the carton tucked under one arm. Then the feet took over, moving stealthily back into the lounge, the door closing behind them. I heard it down the grapevine that we're all in for a hefty pay rise next month. Now, I can't be certain, but I had it on good authority. It's round about bloody time as well, isn't it? Dear, I'll never make my million at the present rate. <laughs> Anyone for a refill? Uh, <laughs> not quite Newport, Bess, but I, I'll have another. Damon, do you want some more? No, no, don't think so. Steve, I know you will. What a question. <laughs> you all right there, Damon? <clears throat> hey, I didn't know you were so bloody mad on extra strong mints. A whole carton full of them. <laughs> not. This is for you. What is it? Stand back and I'll show you. Hey, guys, I think you'd better take a look at this. This is an M16A1 automatic rifle. And it's fully loaded. I know how to use it. Damn. Shut up. Damon. Shut up. Don't you understand? You're all going to die. Now. Hello, da, from Tommy Dell, the Urkama Sigmund. Met die strelende stem van C.S. Reiniger. Op zijn nietste langspiller, Macy. Macy, is jou leven, sonder my ook alleen. As jy op sproeikes verlief was, sal jy pianafwees oor C.S. Reinikers en nieuwe Macy. Geen slechts 9 rand 49 exclusief by alle OK plate toonbanken aan landheid. Die ultralichte sigaret van die 80's is nou beskikbaar in 30's. Benson & Hedges, vervaardigers van Zuid-Afrika'se voorverkoper in lichte sigarette, bied jou nou Benson & Hedges Ultra Mile 30's. Jy kan nou oorslaan na ultra sachtheid sonder om smaakprys te gee met Benson & Hedges Ultra Mile 30's. It was three long years since the gun had been held this way, the stock resting in a tight palm and a taut finger wrapped around the trigger. Three long years of standing in up between a case of chocolate bars and a crate of Russian-made hand grenades. Three long years in a dusty, damp storeroom. Damon Harris pulled the trigger and the gun blew up in his face. Shards of burning metal searing his cheeks, piercing his eyes, digging deep into his chest. He slumped to the floor, crumpling the carton and scattering the pages of the Manchester Evening News, which eventually settled down beside him, open at pages six and seven, the stock market report. Lincoln Electronics hitting new highs, the Fairchild Corporation plummeting to new lows, and Ron Finnegan's scribbled note fluttered to the floor. Damon! Damon! You're wasting your time, Steve. He's dead. Why would he do it? I don't know. Something to do with being alone on a South Sea island, I expect. <laughs> Craig, something wrong? I just found this. I don't believe it, Craig. You're laughing. It's a note from whoever he got the gun from. A bit rusty, it says. Needs a damn good clean. Hope it works.
High Adventure is produced by Henry Duffenthal. Into Shadows Fire, the second book in the world of Strangers and Pilgrims. A fast-paced story of the continuing battle between light against dark and learning about the past will help fight against the shadows of the future. Over a decade has passed since the FTL ship has returned and John Vega and Nicolay Dan have once again joined the effort known now as the Union of Light to fight the newly formed Paganic Imperium. On the world of Sulia, help is needed. The Union must help save the people of the city of Galgani from being tortured and killed because of their beliefs. They must flee their city and begin an exodus across the stars. But the Empire will not let them go that easily, for they are the chosen people of the Lord of Light. But first, they must find a fleet of their own. Thermani Electric escaped with the Bathshi from the Shadow World and is now the Emperor of the Imperium. The only person he trusts, Sashiana makes her way back with the others only to question her own soul. As he remembers his own past and hearing of Sashiana's return, he is encouraged that now he can take his place in the galaxy. Look for Into Shadows Fire, pick it up at your favorite online bookstore. <laughs> Good evening. The makers of the new Rinso bring you the Amos and Andy show with their guest tonight, Chester Morris. Our story tonight opens in a cheap hotel in downtown New York. Three gangsters, whose only visible means of support is a counterfeiting racket, are desperately in need of a place to operate. They are looking through the classified ad sections of all the New York newspapers. Do you see anything in that paper yet, Mike? Uh, no, not yet, Muscles. But here, here's the closest thing I see to what we want. Yeah, well, read it. It says, uh, high-class store with big front display window. Oh, fine, fine. That's great. We put the print and press right in the window. <laughs> now, listen, Dope, what do you think we're making, flapjacks? Yeah, Mike, that ain't no good for us. Uh, we was better off than the last town. Forget that town, will you? I don't want to even hear that name. Oh, stop worrying about that, will you? If they ain't found out that you bumped off that guy yet, they ain't never going to find out. Drop it, will you? Hey, muscles. Here, this one don't sound bad. Yeah, what is it? Uh, for rent. Large room and basement, private entrance, respectable neighborhood, reasonable rent. And get this. Suitable for workshop. Yeah, that sounds all right. Uh, apply Mystic Knights of the Sea Lodge Hall. <laughs> Here's the address and phone number. It's up in Harlem. Yeah? Well, that might be just the place. Uh, you two fellas go up and take a look at it. And if it's any good, grab it. Uh, well, gentlemen, I can tell you, if uh, you're going to use this for job printing or uh, making letterheads and stuff, we can take all the old furniture out of this room and these benches and stuff, and it's going to look a lot better than it do now. How much dough do you want for it? Uh, yeah, sir. Now, uh, ha, ha, ha. The money, yeah, sir. Uh, about a month, uh, we were figuring on 75 $75? That's just our dickering price. That's all it is, yeah, sir. Uh, I tell you the truth, our committee, you see, we has got a committee in charge of renting, and that committee feels, and we agrees with them, and we voted on it and passed it, 
that $60 would be a fair price. $60? Well, we gonna get rid of that committee. They ain't no good, no, sir. <laughs> uh, we got a $50 committee upstairs that's got more sense than all the other committees put together. And if you was $50 minded, mister, you got a deal. What do you say, Mike? Okay, it's a deal. Oh, yeah, sir. And you will never regret it. And another thing, mister, your printing press will be the only one in the neighborhood. You ought to make a lot of money down here. That's exactly what we're going to do. And uh, I ain't never seen you like you is in my life before. Amos, I has done had the love bug to nip me, but this time he done shoot me to pieces. <laughs> you really in love with this gal, Caroline, ain't you? Oh, I gonna tell you something, Amos. This is the first time in my life that I really want to marry a gal. Oh, I was crazy about her. I believe you is. I can tell the way you acting that you are serious, already. Yeah, I'd marry her tomorrow, Amos. The only thing is, I don't think I'm good enough for her. Oh, where did you get that idea, Andy? From her mother. <laughs> yes, sir. She says she don't want me to call up her daughter no more, and I can't see her no more or nothing. She say I ain't good enough for her. Yeah, well, I guess she wants Caroline to marry somebody that's got a lot of money and all that stuff. Well, she told me this. She say that I can't support her daughter in the manner that she would like to become accustomed to. <laughs> Uh, tell me this, how does Caroline feel about you? Well, I get along with her all right. It's that mother. Boy, she beats me down every chance she gets. Balls me out. Yeah, that's too bad, Andy. Oh, Amos, I tell you. Well, hello there, boys. How is you? Hiya, Kingfish. Uh, got some great news for you. I done rented the room in the basement. Oh, you did, huh? Rented it to a couple of fellows that's in the printing business. Oh, gee, that's a swell job you done. Oh, I knowed you boys would say that, because I really did work. I really did manipulate them fellas round. Yeah, uh, uh, say, Ander, I don't hear you saying nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's the matter with you? Ain't you happy about what it done done? Sure, yeah, I was happy, sure. Listen, Kingfish, Ander's in love. He got his mind on this gal, Caroline. Oh, uh, still crazy about her, huh? Uh, how you getting along? He ain't doing so good. Uh, what's the matter, Andrew? Oh, it's a mother. Kingfish, you know all that stuff that people make up about mother-in-laws? Mm, yeah. They ain't making it up. <laughs> well, that's got it, Mike. Yeah. That looks like the real McCoy, Lou. <laughs> Look at that bill. Yeah. Well, they can't make them any better than that in the government mint. Yeah. All right, put those in the box with the other ones. Let's see, that makes uh, an even 10,000, don't it? Right. You know, Mike, if anybody had told me two days ago that we'd have the press set up and a job done by the day, I'd have told them they was out of their heads. Well, when Muscle says he wants something done, we got to get it done. I think of a good reason why not. Yeah, and don't forget the boss is coming here late this afternoon, too. Yeah. You got all the dough in the box there, huh? Yeah. Okay, put it in back of the press. Okay. Hey, what happens now, huh? Well, we got to go over to Brooklyn and get that $10 plate from Slats, and then we got to meet the boss back here at 5 o'clock. Right. Are we all set here now? Hey, take it easy. Uh -huh. Hey, who is it? It's Mr. Brown from upstairs in the lodge. 
everything put away? Yeah, we're all right. Uh, excuse me, uh, but... Uh, wait a minute, uh, buddy. Uh, what's on your mind? Well, the Kingfish told me that you was doing job printing down here, and I was wondering if you could print a card up for me. Print up a card? Yes, uh, could you print me something on a card like this, uh, say, all my love to my darling Caroline from Andy? Well, that sort of printing ain't exactly in our line, buddy. Besides that, we're going to close up now for a while. We've got to get over to Brooklyn. Yeah, well, you see, mister, I sent a box of candy to my gal, and I thought it might be kind of nice if I printed something and then pasted it on the box. Just ain't got time. Sorry, bud. I'm sure glad you kept one of the keys to that new lock on the door in this room, Kingfish. Yeah, now you sure that them fellas ain't gonna be mad with us for coming in here and using this printing press? Oh, no, they ain't even gonna know it. <laughs> now, here's the press. Yeah, you think we can figure out how to work the thing, Andrew? Yeah, wait a minute. Here, Kingfish, I don't want to get this box of candy dirty. Lay it over there, will you? Yeah, I laid the candy up here on the shelf. Hmm. Ain't nothing but green ink around here. Hmm. <laughs> They must be working on St. Patrick's Day card. <laughs> yeah, I don't see no type, no paper. They must do printing without words in it. This is a fine printing business. Listen, Anna, uh, let's get out of here, will you? Why don't you write your own card? That'll be the thing to do. Yeah, I'll do that. Might give it the personal touch. see me, Miss Andy? Yeah, Lightning. I want you to go over and take this box of candy to my gal and tell... Uh, 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 wait a minute. What did I do with that box of candy now? You got a box of candy for your gal? Yeah, what did I do with it? Uh, I had it here. Oh, me. Uh... Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, I know. Uh, listen, Lightning, you know that room downstairs in the basement that we rented to the printers? Oh, uh, yeah, sir. I left the box of candy down there. Uh, get the key to that room from the kingfish. Go down there and get the box. And then, uh, you know where Caroline lives, don't you? Oh, uh, yeah, sir, I know. Well, uh, take the box over there and give it to her with all my love and affection. And give her this card that I done writ up with it. All right, Miss Andy, I'll do that. I'll get it, Caroline. All right, Mother. Uh, is Miss Caroline in? What is it you want? I got a box here that Mr. Andrew Brown sends over here to Miss Caroline with all his love and affection. Well, you can leave the box. But Caroline ain't accept no love and affection from Andy Brown. Yes, ma'am. Well, I just doing what he told me to do. Uh, here he is, and here's the card that goes with it. I got to run along now. Uh, what was it, Mother? A box from that Andy Brown. Don't he ever get discouraged? Oh, let me see what's in it. Probably ain't worth even opening. What can you expect from a loafer like that? Ain't never had enough money to take you on nothing but walking dates for the last two weeks. <laughs> of all the men that you ever gone out with, he is the biggest bum of them all. Mother, look. Money. Money. 
$20 bills, hundreds of them. Why, Caroline, why, there must be thousands of dollars there. Why, the dear boy. <laughs> and it's all for me. Yeah, with his love and affection. Now, he probably didn't spend nothing on you up to now because he didn't want you to know that he had money. And he wanted you to love him for himself. Now, as always said, he was a fine, upstanding man. <laughs> I'm going to call him right now. Uh-uh, let's count the money first. <laughs> oh, look what it says on the card. If you like this, I'll send you five pounds next week. Caroline, <laughs> you've got to be real sweet to him. Any man that gives away money by the pound must be awful rich. <laughs> And her mother opened the door, huh, Lightning? Uh, yeah, sir, Miss Sandy. Yeah, what'd she say? She said that I was to take back the love infection and leave the box. Hmm, uh, Her mother sure hates me, all right. Yeah, well, Miss Sandy, that's too bad. Uh, wait a minute. <clears throat> Hello? Hello, Andy? Uh, yeah, this is Andy. Well, this is Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who? Mom, Miss Waters, Caroline's mother. Uh, how is you, Miss Waters? Oh, <laughs> I'm fine. How's you, son? Well, I'm fine, uh, I guess. <laughs> Andy, I can't tell you how sweet it was of you to send that box over here. Oh, oh, that, oh, that's nothing. Just a trifle. I'm going to send even a bigger box next week. A woman couldn't want a nicer son-in-law for her daughter. How big a box? <laughs> oh, I, I liable to send you five pounds. Oh, you darling boy. Uh, Miss Waters, uh, I wonder if I could speak to Caroline, please. Why, why, Caroline gone shopping, and she gonna stop by and thank you later. Oh, okay, Miss Waters. Goodbye, son. Phone me anytime you're lonesome. And, Sonny, I always want you to call me Mom. All right, Mom. Goodbye. <laughs> you know something, Lightning? Uh, yeah, sir. My gal and her mama is so crazy about candy. <laughs> You remember Andy sent his girl Caroline a box of candy and made a big hit with it. Meantime, we now find the gangsters, Lou and Mike, are concerned about a box, too. Hey, Mike, I can't figure the thing out. You saw me put the dough down behind the printing press when we left this morning. It was in a box. Yeah, it's got me stumped, too. <laughs> but we'd better find out what it's all about before Muscles gets here, and he's due here any minute. Hey, Mike, this box of candy wasn't here when we left. Box of candy? Yeah. Say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That guy that was in here about printing the card. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, who is it? It's Morris. Open up. Uh-oh, it's Muscles. Oh, hiya, Muscles. Hello, Muscles. 
Well, you got it ready? Uh, look, boss, look, uh, something happened. Yeah? What? Well, it ain't our fault. We had the ten grand all printed up. We went over to Brooklyn, and when we come back, it was gone. It was, huh? Yeah, boss. Well, you better get it back. Well, uh, we was just figuring... I that, said uh, get it back. Well, well, it ain't our fault because... Ooh. I don't like no arguments. Mike, who do you think took it? Well, muscles, look, we had the dough in a box, and we put it down in the back of the printing press. Yeah. And the box is gone now. But we found this box of candy on the shelf there. One of those fellas from the lodge upstairs come down this morning and wanted us to print some card for his girl a stick on a box of candy. That's all I know, Muscles. Well, give me the box of candy. I'm going upstairs and see him. Yeah, Kingfish, I showed the head man with my gal and her mama. Yeah, even a mama likes you now, huh? Oh, the old gal is crazy about me. No. Uh, wait a minute, I'll answer that. Uh, hello. Hello, Andy. Uh, who's this? Uh, this is Caroline. Hello. <laughs> I love you, baby. Andy, you know when you sent me over the $10,000 this morning? Uh, uh what is that again, darling? <laughs> uh, listen, Andy, you know when you sent me over the $10,000? Uh, excuse me a minute here, honey. My ear been giving me a little trouble here lately. <laughs> when I sent you the what? Andy, you remember, you sent me over the $10,000. What number did you call? <laughs> Andy, will you listen to me, please? $10,000. Oh, count me in on the deal, partner, dear. <laughs> Andy, do you know that the money you sent me is counterfeit? You say the money is counterfeit? I ain't in this mess with you now, Andy. <laughs> Hello? Andy! Oh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, Caroline, is this you? Yes, this is Caroline Waters. Well, Caroline, explain to me more what you're talking about, will you? Andy, I went to a store with some of that money you sent over to me in the box, and I paid for a dress with a couple of the $10 bills, and they gave them right back to me. They said it was counterfeit, and I was so scared I run right out of the store. Oh, well, well, wait a minute. What box is you talking about? Well, you know the box you had lightning bring over this morning. Light? I sent you candy. Uh, Kingfish, get lightning for me right quick. He's out in the hall. Hello. Andy, you didn't send me candy. You sent me $10,000 in $20 bills. Hold the phone. Oh, <laughs> uh, here you are, Xander. I also, Miss Xander. Uh, listen, lightning, I want to ask you something. Uh, where did you get the box of candy from that you took over to Caroline? Well, Miss Andy, I looked all around the room in the bills from the way you told me, and I found it kind of on the floor behind the printing press. Mm. Wait a minute here. I put the box of candy up on a high shelf. Uh-oh. You know something, boys? Them fellas downstairs is counterfeiters. Let's get out of here. Yes, I see y'all Wait there. a minute, wait a minute here. Hold on. <laughs> Kingfish, come here. Uh, wait a minute. Hello, Caroline. I'm going to call the police. Goodbye. Uh, I got to run along, Andy. I just remembered uh, my wife wanted me to come home earlier today. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, don't, don't leave me here, Kingfish. I got to call the police. Yeah. Call me. What do you think we ought to do, Kingfish? We is in trouble. Wait a minute. The first thing you got to do is to get that wee stuff out of it. I ain't had nothing to do with us, you know. This is the 25th Precinct. Captain Sanders speaking. Uh, this is Andrew Brown over at the Mrs. Knights of the Sea Lodge Hall. Yeah. Uh, I think we got some counterfeiters down the basement here, mister. Counterfeiters? How long have they been there? About uh, uh, two days. Say, are they making $20 bills in a hand press? Uh, yeah, sir, that's exactly what they're doing. That sounds like Muscles Morris and his gang. 
Well, counterfeiting comes under the Secret Service. We'll notify them right away. Oh, yes, sir. Say, you can do us a great service. If you see these men, stall them until the government men get there. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. Let me warn you, though, that this Morris is a killer. He's wanted now for killing a man, so don't take any chances. No, 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 sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, uh, what did he say, Andy? Oh, me. He said the head of this gang is a fellow by the name of Muscles Morris, and he's a killer. I tell you, Andy, I've got to get right home to my wife. She's speaking to me. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, uh, listen, listen, the police asked us to help them and, and install these fellas till the government men get you. you got to stay here and help me, Kingfish. Go out and see if you can find some of the brothers or a gun or something, will you? All right, Andy, I'll do it. I'll scout around. Yeah, well, close the door after you now as you go out there. Uh, uh, pardon me, Musa. Uh, uh, do you know where I can get a gun someplace? Yeah, I might. What do you want with a gun? Uh, well, you see, Mr. there's a killer loose in the place here, and uh, uh, we want some protection. Uh, do you know where we can get a gun? Yeah. Yeah, I've got one right here. Oh, Mr. you as a lifesaver. It's a lucky thing I run into you. Let me have the gun, will you? Uh, the gun stays with me. Yes, I just want to borrow it. Uh, where is you going to be in an hour? I'll bring it back to you. I tell you, the gun stays with me. Uh, look, Mr. I don't want to get tough with you. Uh... <laughs> Now, is you going to give me that gun or is I going to have to take it away from you? Now, listen, I'm the only one who handles this little well, gun. Hey, well, watch out. Don't flip that gun around like that. Libel, go off here. You get arrested for disturbing the peace. Don't do that with that thing. Is, okay? uh, is that your office where you just came out of? Uh, yeah, sir, that's my office. That's your office, huh? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll go in there and sit with you till the killer shows up, if that'll make you feel safer. Yeah, sir, well, that sounds fair enough. I, I know I feel much more comfortable that way, and so will my friend Mr. Brown. Uh, Ander, uh, we got nothing to worry about. Uh, now, just, just take it easy, Ander. I, I found this man here with a gun. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, my name is Brown. Uh, you see, Mr., uh, that, that, that there's a killer loose here in the building, and naturally we're a little nervous. Uh, uh, have a chair there. Thanks, Brown. I wouldn't be too nervous about it, boys. Here, have a piece of candy. Uh, uh, Mr., <laughs> where'd you get that at? I found it. It was left by mistake. I think I'll be running along now, Andrew. Sit down. <laughs> Did you hear me? I said sit down. Yeah, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> ain't, uh, ain't you going to have a piece of candy, fellas? Uh, no, 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 sir. No, sir. I, uh, I never touch it. Uh, no, sir. No, sir. I don't want none either, sir. Uh, hate this stuff. <laughs> uh, I ain't seen a box of candy for 10 years. 12 years for me. You know, it's a funny thing, Brown. I had an idea. Your girl liked candy. Uh, well, well, no, I tell you, Miss... Uh, <laughs> she hates it. Well, they, it uh, sure looked like a good candy, though. <laughs> yeah, it ought to be good. It cost me $10,000. Uh, yeah, well, uh, them chocolate-covered chairs run into a lot of money, all right. <laughs> now, look, boys, now that we've become acquainted... Where's the box with the moo in it? Moo? Yeah, the moo, the money, the dough. Uh, we, we ain't got the slightest idea what you're talking about. Uh, if we does get an idea, we'll get in touch with you, though. See you again sometime. Sit later. down! Yeah, sir, yeah, sir. Yeah. Now, where's the money? The, the money? Oh, answer that and be careful what you say. I mean it. Oh, uh, yeah, sir. Uh, hello? Hello? This is the Secret Service agents. Oh, yes, sir, yeah. Yeah, who's that on the phone? Oh, uh, hold the phone, uh... uh it's a girlfriend of mine, mister. Yeah, well, make it short, Brown, and be careful what you say. Oh, yes, I will. Uh, hello, uh, now, what would you saying, uh, sweetheart, darling? 
Hey, listen, who do you think you're talking to? Well, listen, I is busy right now, uh, Angel Baby. <laughs> Say, what's the matter with you? Are you out of your head? Well, you see, uh, honey, I got company now. Come on, make it snappy. Give her a quick brush. Uh, Hello? Hey, what difference does it make if you... Hey, wait a minute. You can't talk, is that it? That's right, sweetheart. Well, the police called us up and told us there were some counterfeiters working up at your place. Are they there now? Uh, yes, honey. In your office? Uh, that's right, sugar. <laughs> come on, come on. That's enough of that, bud. Cut it out. Uh, now, look. We'll be over in two minutes. Stall around and keep them there till we can get there. Uh, well, listen, honey. Uh, tell that to the kingfish. What'd you just say, will you? Here, kingfish. Uh, hello? Uh, this is the Secret Service agents. We'll be there in two minutes. Now, stall around and keep those men there till we can get there. Okay, darling. Goodbye. <laughs> I love her, too. <laughs> I'm going to give you exactly one minute to tell me where the money is. Uh, could, 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 could you make exactly two minutes? <laughs> so you don't know nothing about that money, huh? I'm talking to both of you. Uh, no, 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 sir, no, 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 Uh, yeah, sir. Uh, we are vibrating with health here. Yeah, that's what we... Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we'll tell you everything if you just give us about a minute to pull ourselves together here. Say, listen, are you guys stalling me? Say, hey, tell me something. That, uh, that dame on the telephone a minute ago. Now, both of you, what's her name? Quick. Uh, Carol. Hazel. Yeah, Hazel. I mean Carol. <laughs> that's all, boys. You got just 30 seconds to talk or else. Uh, well, Mr. M M Mr. DeMoney, uh, you see, let me explain the whole thing to you. Uh, oh. All right, stick him up. Is this the man? Uh, yeah, sir, that's him right there, mister. All right, put the cops on him. All right, all right. Yes, I think there are two more of them down in the basement, mister. Okay, you stay here, Frank. All right. Come with me, Joe. You policemen just got you in the nick of time. Yeah, this guy was going to kill us. Allison Brown, let me tell you something. Sit down. <laughs> So, Amos, that's the whole story. I finally got him down on the floor. I took his gun away from him. <laughs> then I pinned his shoulders down and held him with one hand till the cops come. Oh, it's the closest I don't ever come to getting shot. And I ain't never heard of nothing like that. Oh, hand me that phone. I'll bet you were scared. I'm so glad it's over, Amos. Now I can unlax and be myself. Yeah, I know, Andy. Oh, I was a hero, Amos. I stalled that gunman. Oh, I'm proud of myself. And I know somebody else is going to be proud of me, too. <laughs> yeah, I know you, then. Hello? Hello, Mom. Don't you mom me, you big bum. <laughs> Man. Are you as handsome as Charles Boyer? Are you as charming? Well, that's the problem George Burns faces next Tuesday night when his wife, Gracie, stands George and Charles Boyer side by side and takes a good look at each. Be sure to tune in George Burns and Gracie Allen next Tuesday night when they'll have as their guest Charles Boyer. Consult your newspaper for time and station. 
And be sure to join us again next Friday night at this same time for the Amos and Andy Show, at which time the boys will have as their guest, Chester Morris. Thanks to Donald Meek for being with us tonight. Our program is shortwave to our armed forces overseas. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for all of us, bidding all of you a pleasant good night. For a Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, and near his assignment by Grace S. Gross. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. This is Lieutenant Gomez of the Santo Tomas Police Department. Oh, yeah, Lieutenant. I have been trying to reach you for some time. Sorry, I was out making some funeral arrangements. It is about the dead man that I wish to speak to you, senor. Fire away, Lieutenant. What's on your mind? Precisely the question I was about to ask you. What do you mean? Surely I do not need to remind you that Benito Escanza was found dead in your hotel room earlier this evening. You certainly don't. But I've already told one of your cops the whole story. Perhaps. Perhaps not. I suggest that you come to see me so that we can discuss it further. Is that an invitation or an order? Let us call it an invitation. But if you do not accept, we will have to come and get you. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Santo Tomas, Mexico. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Northeastern Fidelity and Bonding, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of additional expenses during my investigation of the Alvin Summers $75,000 embezzlement case. Item 6, $25 American. Funeral and burial expenses for Benito the Bellboy. Somebody had to do it, and he apparently had no family. After I made the arrangements with the town's undertaker, I went back to my room and received Lieutenant Gomez's polite but firm invitation to drop in on him. So I went on down to police headquarters. Sit down, Senor Dollar. Thanks, Lieutenant. So? So, the autopsy has confirmed the fact that Benito Escanso died from knife wounds. I didn't need an autopsy to tell me that. It was obvious. But what is not obvious is your part in all of this. Look, the story hasn't changed a bit since I told it to your Sergeant Romero. I went back to my room at midnight. I opened my balcony door and enrolled Benito. His throat had been cut. That is the story. As to what is behind the story, that may well be another matter. For instance? For instance, in a case such as this, everyone is a potential suspect. Everyone. Including you. Isn't this being pretty ridiculous, Gomez? Is it? Then perhaps you would be kind enough to tell me if there was some legitimate reason Benito had his throat cut in your hotel room. Well, in the first place, if you're interested in alibis, I've got one. Indeed? Indeed. 
I was with a girl named Gloria Harris up at the Hotel Playa del Mar all evening. You can check that. Oh, you may be quite certain that I am checking on all your activities this evening, senor. In the second place, if you're interested in motives, I don't have one. No? Why would I want to kill Benito when I was hoping to get some information from him? Information of what sort, senor Dollar? Oh, I guess I'd better start at the top, Lieutenant. Here's my card. You are an insurance investigator. That's right. About six months ago, a man named Alvin Summers up in the States embezzled $75,000 from the company he worked for. The outfit I'm representing in the deal wrote the bond on him, so they were stuck for the money. $75,000. A couple of days ago, they got a long-distance phone call from down here in Santo Tomas. The man who called claimed that he had information about Alvin Summers. That's why I came down here. Now, who was the man who telephoned? We don't know. I came on the chance that he might contact me here. Or that I might get some kind of lead on Alvin Summers' whereabouts. And have you? No, on both counts. Benito said he knew about a place where Summers used to live. He was going to take me there tonight. But apparently somebody had other ideas. And a knife to back them up. I see. And uh, nobody has tried to contact you? Oh, sure, sure. Several people have. But always for the wrong reason. First, there was a man named Carson, a zipper salesman. He contacted me for the purpose of setting up a cribbage game. Cribbage? What is this cribbage? Oh, now, that's something I hope I never find out. Hmm? And there was a strong arm who bounced me around with a gun barrel and suggested politely that I wanted to leave town. Oh? Uh, what did he look like? Well, he was heavy in the shoulders, thick neck, low forehead, short dark hair, scar over the bridge of his nose. Scar? That would be Senor Kraus. You know him? I know him by sight. Well, who is he? What's his pitch? That is something I do not know. Senor, you must understand that Santo Tomas is a rather strange town and a dangerous one. Come in. Hey, Lieutenant. Oh, can't you see that I'm busy, Sergeant Romero? A body is about, Senor Dollar. Oh. Well, uh, what is it? Well, I have talked to a Senorita Gloria Harris at the Hotel Playa del Mar. She said that Senor Dollar was with her throughout the evening. <laughs> Very well, Romero. Uh, one thing more. We have just arrested a man, an uh, American tourist, uh, uh, Senor Carson. I will talk to him when I have time. Hey, wait a minute. That's the zipper salesman I was telling you about. Indeed? Yeah. Hey, look, maybe he ties into this deal after all. What's the charge? Romero? Uh, is uh, disturbing the peace. Oh, great. Just when I thought I had a lead. What's the matter? He got a few too many under his belt, maybe? Well, Romero? Uh, here, here's the report. The Senor Carson is outside. Gracias. That will be all. I will talk to the man. Si, Senor Donald, if you know this man, perhaps you had better come with me. Okay. Dollar! Say, I'm sure glad to see you. Hi, Carson. What seems to be the trouble? Well, it wasn't as much as they made it, Dollar. fella goes out stepping. Sometimes he, well... Well, you know. Yeah, he steps a little too far. Well, I was only having a little fun. Senor Carson, this report states that you are at the Hotel Playa del Mar this evening. Uh, that's right. But now, Lieutenant... It further what... states that you became increasingly noisy and that at one point, during a dance by an entertainer, you grabbed a serape from one of the musicians and attempted to join in the dance. Now, now Lieutenant, maybe I was a little out of line, but I... Further, I... that when the dancer refused to dance with you, you chased her around the patio several times. 
Trying to sell her a zipper, maybe? Oh, no, Dollar. Let up on a guy, will you? Uh, but finally, when the musician attempted to get his therapy away from you, you broke his guitar over his head. Say, when you get going, you're a real tiger, aren't you? Are these things true, Senor Carson? Well, I, I suppose the facts are correct, but they sound different somehow down here. I was just trying to have a little fun, you know. See, uh, Sergeant Romero will conduct you to the magistrate. Romero! Dollar, you're just going to stand there and not do anything? After all, we both live at the same hotel, and... And? And? Oh, you're a big help. What'll have it do him, Lieutenant? Oh, you will have to pay the damages, and there will be a fine. Which will probably go on his expense account. Lieutenant, you started to tell me about this Beetlebrow Krauss who put a few dents in me. I started to say that before the people from Mexico City build the new hotel... This town, unfortunately, used to be something of a haven for undesirable characters from the United States. Fugitives, huh? Some of them still remain. And although I know very little about Senor Kraus, it is probable that he is one of them. Could be. You say that he and Senor Carson are the only ones who have made any effort to contact you? Yeah, except for Gloria Harris, of course. I still haven't found out what's on her mind. Hmm? I mean, what else is on her mind. She says she's down here on a vacation. Indeed. In that case, it has certainly been a long vacation. What do you mean? She's been here for several months, to my knowledge. Well, well. Now, that's very interesting, Lieutenant. Thanks. Anything else you want to ask me about, Benito? Uh, Not at the moment, but I suggest you remain available. You know where to find me. One moment, Senor Dollar. Hmm? A word of warning. As I told you, this town can be a dangerous place. I would suggest that you be quite careful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one thing I wish to impress upon you. If you are at any time tempted during your investigation to take the law into your own hands, I assure you that you will regret it. Well, in that case, I hope you're around when and if I need you. Whether or not I am available, the warning still applies. Okay. Be seeing you. Well, Gloria, I thought you were tucked in for the night. I couldn't sleep, so I called your hotel. Oh? They told me that the bellboy had been murdered, that you were at the police station, so I came down here. Is there anything I can do? Not for Benito, I'm afraid. He was killed in your room? Yeah. You think he could have been killed by mistake? Mistake? You mean maybe I was supposed to be the target? Hey, it's a thought. Johnny, you're in trouble of some kind. We should tell me what it is. You're not just down here on a vacation. Speaking of vacations, Gloria, let's... Johnny, what is it? Keep looking straight ahead. There's somebody across the street in the shadows. He's tailing us. Can you see who it is? When he goes past that light, I'll be... Well, what do you know? My old friend Krause again. You mean the man who came to your room and was looking for you on the beach? That's the boy. Funny how he always seems to pop up when I'm with you. Johnny, I tell you, I don't know him. Doesn't matter right now. Come on. Turn into the alley here. Okay. Now keep going straight down this alley and out the other end. Go back to your hotel and I'll call you there later. I may be a while. What are you going to do? Wait for him. No, Johnny. Look, Gloria, don't give me any argument this time. Get going. After she was out of sight, I ducked into a doorway. Then I waited. Yeah, Krauss was following all right. I waited until he got right up to me. 
And I dove at him. You! That's right, me. Drop the gun. Drop it. Yeah, this time I'm ready for you, sweetheart. What do you think about me, Krauss? I don't like guys working over me with a gun barrel ever. All right. Now you're going to tell me what this is all about. Why you've been tailing me. Why you worked me over with a gun barrel in my room last night. I want to hear all about it. You know why. Talk. I said talk. You're not taking me back. Taking you back? I know you came down here after me, but I ain't going back. What are you talking about? You know what happens to a three-time loser. Three-time Want me back home? You gotta carry me. Hey, wait a minute. You ever hear of a man named Alvin Summers? Oh? How about Gloria Harris? No, no, no. You sure about that, Cross? <laughs> look, 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 I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you are. You're too punchy right now to give me a routine. Yeah, I think I get it. You're wanted in the States. You figured I was a cop and came down here to make a pinch. Brother, right now, I sure wish I was. You mean you... No, I'm no cop. Uh, you say you made a mistake. You sure did, Buster. No um, hard feeling? Oh, no, no, not at all. I just love the feel of a gun barrel whipping across my face. Krauss, I got a nice little piece of advice for you. Next time, you better find out what the score is before you jump into the ball game. <laughs> I left him there in the alley and went back to my hotel. Then, just as I was about to open the door to my room, I heard someone moving around inside. I went quietly down to the end of the hall, out the window, then eased along the balcony back toward my room. Inside it was dark, but I could make out someone bent over my luggage, searching it. I edged across the room, slowly. Then I lunged. Ah! Hello, Gloria. Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. Helping me unpack, maybe. Look, I, uh, I can explain, Johnny. You know something? That's just exactly what you're going to do. There'll be another exciting episode in our story of the Alvin Summers matter tomorrow. Tomorrow night... How to fall into a trap in one easy lesson. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Robert Reif. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Into Shadows Fire, the second book in the world of Strangers and Pilgrims. A fast-paced story of the continuing battle between light against dark and learning about the past will help fight against the shadows of the future. Over a decade has passed since the FTL ship has returned and John Vega and Nicolay Dan have once again joined the effort known now as the Union of Light to fight the newly formed Paganic Imperium. On the world of Sulia, help is needed. The Union must help save the people of the city of Galgani from being tortured and killed because of their beliefs. They must flee their city and begin an exodus across the stars. But the Empire will not let them go that easily, for they are the chosen people of the Lord of Light. But first, they must find a fleet of their own. Thermani Electric escaped with the Bathshi from the Shadow World and is now the Emperor of the Imperium. The only person he trusts, Sashiana makes her way back with the others only to question her own soul. As he remembers his own past and hearing of Sashiana's return, he is encouraged that now he can take his place in the galaxy. Look for Into Shadows Fire, pick it up at your favorite online bookstore. Dodge City entered the territory on west. There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Heavy, Matt? Oh, somehow it was easier carrying him up to your office and back down, Doc. Where are you going to put me, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, well, on the couch here, I guess. Uh, uh, you'll be all right there, Chester? Oh, yes, it is. We'll be fine. Good. I'm sure sorry I'm so much trouble. Chester, next time, try to land on just one foot. Even if you break a leg. I know. A man's in a terrible fix when he sprains both ankles. Oh, he sure is, Doc. I don't know what I'm going to do. I know what you're going to do. You're going to stay right there on that couch, and you're going to sleep there, too. Maybe Doc and I'll bring you in something to eat every day or two. Oh, no. It's better than you deserve. I know. I've been saying over and over to myself, Chester, you fool, you. Well... The wages of sin, Chester. <laughs> you were lucky to get off as easy as you did. <clears throat> the way I heard it. Uh, come on, Chester. Tell us what really happened. Eh? <laughs> but I did tell you. I was uh, looking out this second-story window, admiring the view, so to speak. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I fell. That's all right onto the street. He didn't say whose window, Chester. In Texas, Doctor, a gentleman don't mention such things. You ain't in Texas, well, sometimes I wish you'd never left. <laughs> like now? Yes, like now. <laughs> Many a reputation's been ruined by just such loose talk that you're making, Doc. Never mind, Doc Chester. He's jealous, that's all. Oh, jealous of putting tracks in a man's yard? <laughs> Not me. Not by a long sight. Why, no, sir. Oh. 
Good morning, Marshal. Well, good morning, gentlemen. What can I do for you, gentlemen? Well, there's Chester. <laughs> heard about you, Chester. I heard. Never you... mind what you heard, Torp. Chester just got thrown from a horse, that's all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. What is it you want here, gentlemen? Yeah. All right, you tell him, Summers. Well, Marshal, it's about tomorrow night. Oh? So what about tomorrow night? Well, you know, it's the roundup. The sales season's over. There'll be a thousand cowboys celebrating in Dodge. Well, they always do at the end of the season. What about it? Well, there's going to be more of them this year, and there'll be a lot of homesteaders in town, too. It's going to be worse than ever. Well, I expect that. There could be a lot of trouble, Marshal. <laughs> yeah, there could be, Summers. Just what is it you want? Well, we've talked it over, and uh, we want you to get a lot of good, tough men together, maybe about uh, 20 of them, and deputize them. That way, there won't be any trouble. That's what you want, is it? Yes, we do. Look, Summers, my job's to keep the peace around here, and I'm going to do it, but I'll do it in my own way. Oh, I know, Marshal. Now, you but... turn 20 deputies loose in that crowd looking for trouble, and they're going to find it. As soon as the wild ones heard about it, they'd bunch up and shoot it out with every one of them. Why, it'd turn into the worst slaughter dodge ever seen. I think that's about the most fool idea I ever heard of. Yeah, no reason for you to talk like that, Marshal. I think it's a good idea. I sure don't want my place wrecked just because you're mule-headed. You're a gambler, Torp. So? So you can take your chances along with everybody else. Now, if you don't want that, then close your place up tomorrow night. Well, lose all that Texas money? <laughs> that's not likely. Now, we're not all gamblers, Marshal. They can wreck my dry goods store just as fast as a gambling house once they get started. And it's up to you. That's right. It is up to me. And we're going to leave it that way. Then uh, you won't do anything. I'll do everything I can. I don't know, Marshal. Look, Summers, I know you've got your doubts about me. That's natural. Some people think I'm too lax with front streets. Some think I'm too severe. But that's the way of it in any town. If a peace officer does his job well, he pleases nobody. Marshal, we didn't come here for a lecture. What did you come for, Torp? Maybe you hadn't mind to help me pick out those deputies, is that it? A matter of fact, I could, Marshal. Yeah, sure, sure. In a couple of hours, yours would be the only tables open for play. No, that's not what it's I... It's been had. done before, Torp. Is that too, Torp? We're not going to take his word for anything, are you? I don't know. But anyway, he won't listen to us, so it's his responsibility. Come on, men, let's get out of here. I hope you can handle it, Marshal. Goodbye, gentlemen. That torp is no good. He is just plain no good, Mr. Dillon. Well, I know one man that got skinned at his place, and torp gave him back $20 so as he wouldn't be broke. Huh? Just how much did this man lose, Doc? Oh, five, six hundred, they said. And uh, then he... Uh... Oh, yeah, I see what you mean, man. I'm sure not going to be much good to you tomorrow night, Mr. Dillon. Uh, you can watch the jail right here, Chester. I know, but you just got to get somebody to help you out on the street. At least one man, anyway. You can't be everywhere at once. Yeah, but tomorrow night, Dodge will be overrun with trail boys and homesteaders. All looking for satisfaction. No, I wouldn't ask any man to face that. I know a few fellows who'd do it, and so do you, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, maybe, but I wouldn't ask anybody. How many were killed last year, man? 
I don't remember. Well, I do. Six, that's what. We buried them all in the saddle blankets. All except one. I remember he didn't even own a blanket. (laughs) Why, then he was sure out of luck all the way around, wasn't he? Come on, Doc. Let's go get some dinner. All right. We'll bring you a piece of bread, Chester. Maybe. I want a steak. Rare. (laughs) How come you're so hungry, Chester? Were you in such a hurry to get over there last night you didn't take time for supper? Mr. Dillon, I will answer no more questions about last night, and that is final. (laughs) Well, we'll bring you something. Yeah, I don't know if we should, though, Matt. A man can think about his sins better on an empty stomach. Close the door, will you? (laughs) The next morning, I had Mr. Hightower print up some signs for me. With a few rules that I made up for the roundup, they were fair and reasonable, and I hoped they'd be accepted without question. The principal restrictions were that there was to be no shooting and no reckless riding in the streets. That afternoon, I went from saloon to saloon and left a sign at each one. The Texas Trail was my last stop, and there I sat down with Kitty for a short beer. Town's beginning to fill up, Matt. Yeah, it'll be swamped to the dashboard by dark. You um, expect trouble tonight? I always expect trouble, Kitty. Yeah, I know. Matt, I heard something. Yeah? I heard Torp and a few of his men cut cards last night. So? I don't know who it came out for, but Low Man is supposed to kill you. Oh. When? Tonight, I suppose. Why is Torp after you, Matt? Well, Torp says he wants an open town, Kitty. What he's really after is somebody who'll close down every game but his. Mm. Who's this, man? What? Rough-looking traveler headed this way. What? Well, I'll be. Why, it's Zell Matlock. Zell! You old badger. How are you? (laughs) Zell, it's been a long time. A long time. Here, come on over here. Sit down. Sure. Uh, I'd like for you to meet Kitty. Kitty, this is Zell Matlock. This is Kitty. Glad to know you, ma'am. Just rode into Dodge an hour ago. It's your first time in the Zell. Hey, would you like a beer? Don't mind. Good. I uh, aim to get drunk tonight, but before I got started, I thought I'd look up the peace officer and shoot him. I'd be sure to tangle with him before the night's out. I always figure it's safer to do it sober. So <laughs> he, he half means that. Kid. So I asked around and found out the man's name is Matt Dillon, the United States Marshal. I've seen it all now. Well, I hope you're not disappointed. I'll, so. I'll tell you, Miss Kitty, I knew Matt Dillon before he got civilized. Why, we had to tie his leg up to give him a haircut when he came to town. <laughs> Don't you yeah. believe a word that he says, Kitty. Yeah, the wilder the coat, the better the horse, Matt. Mm-hmm. Well, you was all right. The only trouble with you was that fool honest streak you always had. <laughs> Are you rich now, Zell? Uh, nobody's rich on the Mexican border. Land of sunshine and pin of beans. I hired out to a general over in Chihuahua three years ago. I lost 20 pounds and was lucky to get back at all. Well, haven't you learned to stay out of Mexico yet? No, I met the man he wanted me to shoot and turned out to be a better fellow than the general. So I told him I'd been hired to kill him and then rode for the border. 
The general lost three soldiers who tried to stop me from swimming the Rio Bravo. Uh, you must be pretty handy with a gun, Zell. Yeah, you're just fair, ma'am. But when I take my gun out, I go right ahead and use it. Some people stop and think for half a second. Um, there's a roundup in Dodge tonight. Matt's handling it alone. Kitty, what the... Yeah, no, no, hold it, hold it, man. I heard about it. I heard all about it, and that's why I'm here. To say hello and uh, sign on for a night's pleasure. Mr. Matt, I've killed on the side of the law before. <laughs> I don't believe that, and anyway, I... I don't want any killings here. No, I was joshing you, Matt. I know what you want. It's true. I was sheriff in Tascosa for six months. You what? Yeah, it's in the record. Well, they caught up with me there, but I'd already done such a good job taming the place that the governor pardoned me. <laughs> I won't kill anybody tonight that don't need killing. All right, all right. I believe you, so. But uh, I won't ask any man to come in when it's as rough as this roundup may be. Well, you didn't ask me. Any other objection? Well, uh, the men don't know you around here, Zell. No telling how they'd take to a stranger. First night I ran Tascosa, nobody knew me either. I'm not green at this business. Yeah, but it's my job. Why should you get mixed up in it? Well, I... I also heard somebody's planning a party for you tonight. Well, you did, huh? I've owed you something for... A long time, Matt. Oh, that's got nothing to do with it. It has. You got no right to not let me pay it back a little. Now there's a chance to. <laughs> yeah, you're just as crazy as you ever were. <laughs> that's better. Well, come on, let's go find me a badge before it gets dark. Sure, nice to have met you, Miss Kitty. Well, good luck, Zell. I'll see you later, Matt. Yeah, sure. So long, Kitty. Sure been a long time coming to Dodge, Mr. Matlock. What do you mean, Chester? Well, I've heard Mr. Dillon mention you a lot, but the way he talked, I wasn't ever sure you were still alive. <laughs> oh, well, I was never sure either, Chester. You know, Zell isn't the most cautious man I ever knew. You think being a U.S. Marshal isn't asking for an early grave, man? Oh, maybe. But at least it's a way to do some good before you die, whether folks think so or not. No, men like Torp, that's all. Oh, no, Chester, even good men have got a strange twist that makes them suspect any man paid to handle the bad element. Hey, you just can't help thinking that some of its dirt is rubbed off on him. You know, I never thought about that before, Matt. Sure, how it was in Tascosa. They wanted me there, all right, but they wanted me to uh, keep my distance, too. It makes a man kind of lonely. Yeah. They just don't know what's good for them, that's all. Uh, Instead of a real lawman, they'd rather hire some killer with a lot of knockers carved on his gun. Well, there are plenty of them around. You sure are. Bragging kind. I never did like a man who has to notch his gun to keep his courage up. Yeah. My goodness. Look yonder. Mm-hmm. The street's about full already and it isn't even dark yet. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, give yeah. me a hand here, will you? We'll move Chester's couch away from the window oh, there. All right. There, that should do it. Yeah, you'll be safer here, Chester, in case somebody gets it in mind to shoot up the jail. Thank you, Mr. Dillon. I can watch both doors from here. Uh, just hand me my gun belt, if you will. Oh, yeah. There you are. Well, come on, Zell. Uh, Chester, I'll get somebody at the Dodge House to fetch up some supper, huh? Thank you, sir. 
and, and good luck, both of you. So long. Nice to see you, Chester. Well, how are we working, man? Uh, I'll tell you, Sal, you take this side of the street. I'm going up to the Dodge house, and then I'll be on the other side somewhere. All right. Oh, say, you mind if I go back later and get that Spencer carbine of yours? Make a mighty handy club if I don't have to use it any other way. <laughs> sure, sure, sir. Who they got there? That fella on their shoulders. Oh, that's Mr. Hightower. He runs the printing press here. Shall, shall we stop it? Oh, no, no. They're just carrying him into the Longhorn to make him stand some drinks. Oh, they like Hightower. They won't hurt him. Well, I guess that sort of officially opens this here roundup, huh? Yeah, I guess it does. Well, I'll leave you here, Zell. Yeah, sure. Sure, man. And, uh, Zell, I, uh, <laughs> I, I want to thank you for what you're doing tonight. I ain't done nothing yet, but I'll do plenty if someone shoots you in the back. <laughs> I can promise that. Yeah. Well, I'll see you later. Sure, Matt. <laughs> Return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, Sunday nights, you are cordially invited to escape via CBS Radio. Yes, every weekend for drama that will take you right out of this world, listen for Escape at the Star's Address. Also, tomorrow evening, CBS Radio brings you Lionel Barrymore on your Sunday night playhouse. Now, for the second act of Gunsmoke. When I came out of the Dodge house, Front Street was so full that if anybody had been shot, the crowd would have carried him along like one of the living. I had a feeling that the word was out about Torp and his bunch cutting cards to see who would make a try for me, and that the crowd knew it and was waiting for it. I stood for a while with my back against Summer's dry goods store, and I left the street and cut down an alley thinking to change my position with as much irregularity as possible. I was passing the back door of the Texas Trail when I heard the first shot of the night. I entered the saloon from the rear and made my way into the crowd. It's all right, Marshal. There's no fight. It's not all right, Sam. I made a rule that there'd be no shooting for any reason. All right. Who fired that shot? Outside. It was Torp, Marshal. He, he just took a shot at the moon, that's all. Yeah. All right, Torp. Put the gun away and come over here. I'm bothering nobody, Marshal, excepting maybe you. Stand back, everybody. I said that's enough, Torp. No, it ain't, Dylan. This time I got the jump on you. You ain't pushing me no more. Torp's bullet just grazed my arm. Then I put one in his head and another in his chest. And at the same time, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a figure with a gun in each hand move out of the shadow of the alley and turn toward me on the boardwalk. And without really looking, I dropped him with one shot. And then I faced the crowd and waited for the next move. But for some reason... None came. Marshal, 
Yes, Summers. That uh, man you just shot, Mark. Torp got what he deserved. Yes, I know. It's the other one that I... So did he. Marshal, you'd better go take a look at that man. He's dying. Who is he? I don't know him, Marshal. But you do. What? He's wearing a star. No. No. Oh, Zell. Zell. Man. I think that did it. No, Zell. No. It's my fault. I crossed the street a while back. Left the carbine with Chester. It's no fault of yours. Matt? That old Jose, old man. Uh, how, how is he? Oh. Oh, oh, goodness. No use, Doc. Thanks. So I, I now, listen. Listen to me, Matt. You did right. The only thing you could do. It was my fault. I shouldn't have crossed over and come up behind you. Anyway, Matt, I ain't been living on my own time ever since that day you pulled me out of the mob in Almogordo. I never thanked you for that. I guess I never will. Now, Matt, so long. Well, I'll find someone to carry him over to your office, Matt. No. I'll carry him. I heard you shooting. Put a blanket on the floor there, Doc. Yeah, sure. Yeah, spread it out right here. He's dead, Chester. Well, who shot him, sir? I shot him, Chester. I didn't know it was him. I'm sorry, Mr. Dillon. It sounds like they're going to hoorah the town after all, Matt. Sure does. No. No, they're not. It's going to be kind of hard to stop now, isn't it, Matt? Maybe. You taking a shotgun, Mr. Dillon? Matt, why don't you just let them fight each other? What are you going to do? I'm going to close Front Street. You're going to close... Oh, what? The party's over in Dodge. Mr. Dillon, you can't do that. There'll be trouble if I don't. The mob's tasted blood now. They'll shoot you sure as I'm laying here. Will they? All right, I can't stop you, but I sure do wish I could go with you. Yeah, Matt, I'll go. Maybe if they see me, they won't be so quick. Thanks, but this isn't your job, either one of you, but thanks. up and turn out your lights. What? You heard me! Now listen to me! Front Street's closed! Now get out of here and go home, all of you! 
Texas, mister. If you ever had one. I ain't going home tonight. Not tonight, I ain't. Don't interfere, fella. You got no chips in this deal. I could buy in, mister. Now I'll use this shotgun for what it was meant on the next man. Well? All right, Sam, close it up. Yes, sir. Put out your lights. Huh? You heard me. Lock the place up. I know. I ain't going to do it. Now, don't tell me what you're going to do. All right, boys. We're closing up. That took care of the Texas Trail and the Longhorn. And I moved on through the Oasis and the Olifraganza, then to the smaller bars that infested the outskirts of town. When I came back up Front Street, the crowd had thinned, its fever broken. I'd left Torp's place for the last, thinking to give his men a chance to get out of town before they faced me. There was a gambling hall on the same side of the street as the jail. And when I reached it and entered, there weren't more than a dozen men there. And most of them stepped quietly past me out into the street. What was left didn't seem to count for much. Looking for somebody, Marshal? You a friend of Torp's? Well, yes, I was. Why? Who else here worked for Torp? Everyone's gone, Marshal. They heard you were all riled up and they left. Then you're alone. And still in bad company. I wouldn't ordinarily take that. Well, go ahead, mister. You're calling it. No. Not now. What's stopping you? No, if it's the shotgun... Now, does that make it easier for you? I haven't been looking for you, Marshal. You were in on the cut, weren't you? Torp's dead, Marshal. Isn't that enough? Torp! Mister, one of the best men I ever knew died tonight. And I killed him. I'm not a gunman, Marshal. You wouldn't be proud killing me. What does a man like you know about pride? Now, you get out of Dodge and you get out fast. But I don't... You want to die in this place right now? No. No, I'm leaving. All right, Hurry. The rest of the night, I walked the dark, empty street alone. And just before dawn, I got a spring wagon and loaded Zell onto it. A couple of hours later, I buried him out of the Arkansas in a little grove of cottonwoods. Maybe I should have put a marker on his grave, but I didn't. What I did instead, I did partly out of scorn for the kind of men Zell said have to notch their guns to keep their courage up. And partly as a 
and of a cross that I'd bear from now on. So instead of a marker on his grave, I took out my gun and I cut a single notch on it. Smoke under the direction of Norman MacDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John Boehner and Harry Bartell, with Lawrence Dobkin, Lou Krugman, and James Nusser. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Listen to CBS Radio for Spring Byington as December Bride. And say, after you hear December Bride tomorrow night, listen for the important announcement about its new night and time on CBS Radio. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, Amos and Andy are here every Sunday on the CBS Radio Network. Looking for a book that combines the Christian faith, with a fantasy adventure? Creator's Call does just that. 18-year-old Edward has been raised with tales of distant lands where dragons and other strange beasts dwell. He dreams of one day joining the Keepers, who fight against them to keep the land safe, however, life's obstacles keep him firmly rooted in the small town of Cadestone. When 17-year-old June comes passing through, following a dream given to her by the Creator of the Universe, Edward's life is about to change. Pursued by a demon-possessed man, the two of them are forced to flee to areas where dragons and monsters are not just tales but reality. June and Edward eventually discover what the demons want from them. Is it possible to defeat this evil and save everyone from the darkness that threatens their lands? Creator's Call is a Christian fantasy novel with clear Christian messages. A book that glorifies God while taking you on an adventure. Pick up a copy of Creator's Call today. Wheat Checks, Rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston present Space Patrol!
High adventure in the wild, vast reaches of space. Visions of daring in the name of interplanetary justice. Travel into the future with Buzz Corey, Commander-in-Chief of the Space Patrol. In today's transcribed Space Patrol adventure, Buzz and Happy are in a private space cruiser heading toward Jupiter when suddenly... It's a cosmic torpedo right off our port side. Who could be firing at us? I don't know, but he's within range. The next blast will get us sure. He hit us that time, sir. The power's gone. Well, that's not all. Half the hull's punctured. We're losing all our air. We'll return in just a moment with today's exciting space patrol adventure, Treachery in Outer Space. Riding in anyhow, Captain Tufel. We'll never get to Terra City at this speed. I know what's the matter. This surface car's just got ordinary fuel in it. Well, we'll drive it to this filling station here and fill her up with super fuel. Let's try her now. Jet car is supercharged now. Sure thing. There's super fuel in it. And gang, there's a little lesson in this for you. Ordinary fuel for breakfast, you're just a putt-putt. Super fuel for breakfast, you're supercharged. So gang, my advice is eat the super fuel Buzz Corey has in the morning. I mean wheat checks and rice checks. The super cereals that help the supercharge you. Real swell tasting. And they both have that modern bite-sized design for easy eating. So don't be a putt-putt. Eat the delicious super cereals that help to supercharge you. Rice checks and wheat checks. And remember, inside the package, there's a mysterious magic space picture. And now, today's space patrol adventure, treachery in outer space. Commander Corey and Cadet Happy and their space battlecruiser Terra 5 are headed toward Jupiter, where Buzz is to hold a conference with the governor of that giant planet. But they've just received a message concerning a wanted bandit ship reported in the area, and Buzz has changed vector to head toward Jupiter's third moon. There's no sign of another ship in the viewscope, Commander. Maybe the pilot of that Saturn patrol ship was mistaken. The ship he was chasing may have already landed on Jupiter's third moon. Then it's going to take us a long time to locate it, sir. Number three isn't a very big moon, but it's still got a lot of surface. More area than we have time to search right now, even for a million credits worth of amphitron. But, sir, if we're not going to search for this ship, why are we going to the third moon? I'm going to pay a visit to the Gold Star Express spaceport. It's the one spaceport on number three moon where they don't ask many questions. You didn't say it was a small cargo job? But that's all. There are dozens of small cargo ships shuttling between Jupiter's 12 moons and the Saturn's moons, for that matter. The Gold Star Express operates three or four. Not a very big outfit. No, but you get a lot of revenue by repairing ships owned by even smaller operators. The working ship isn't always a very high standard, you remember. Yeah, that's what Gold Star got in trouble about last year. Of course, Rex Scranner may have learned his lesson. We'll have a talk with him, and then we'll blast off for Jupiter City. Oh, Mr. Scranner, I've been calling all over the spaceport trying to find you. Yeah, yard foreman told me. What's the trouble? Slate Rackman is out to get you. 
I'm not surprised after that neat double cross my boys just pulled on him. We're in the big time now, Loring. We're as big as Rackman himself. Well, we will be after we dispose of that amplifier. Yeah, but what about Rackman? I outsmarted him once, I can do it again. Another deal. Let him plan the whole robbery, how to get the crates of Amplitron out of the Saturn warehouse, then we step in a day early and do it ourselves. So we don't have to split them. Now stop worrying and see that my ship's ready. I want to blast off of Venus in an hour. You can't blast off. What do you mean I can't blast off? Got to make arrangements to dispose of the Amplitron. It's just what Rackman's waiting for. He's going to blow your ship to bits. You sure this morning? Ask Broder. He overheard a couple of Rackman's men talking about it in that... That Saturn City hangout of theirs. Well, he's not going to bluff Rex Scranner. I'm blasting off of Venus on schedule. Yeah, but Mr. Scranner, you know that cruiser of his. He's got weapons on it that could fight off a space patrol squadron. You wouldn't stand a chance. Commander Corey aboard Terra 5 calling Gold Star Express, Jupiter Moon number 3. Commander Corey? Commander Corey calling Gold Star Express Spaceport. I'll talk to you. Gold Star Spaceport to Commander Corey. Rex Scranner here. Commander, I'm five minutes out of moon number three. I want to land at your port and talk to you. Why, certainly, Commander. What about? I'll explain when I get there. I need your cooperation. Of course. I'll have the space lock cleared for you. Fine. Hurry out. Why do you suppose he's coming here? Well, he must suspect something about the Amplitron. If it was a regular Saturn to Jupiter patrol ship, I'd say you were right. But Corey wouldn't be here so soon after the robbery. I suppose he starts looking around. He won't find anything. Well, hide the Amplitron cases underground. He'll spray the rocket exhaust of the ship that brought it in with liquid air. It'll be as cold as if the ship hadn't been spaceborne for two days. Get the crew on that right away. Yes, Mr. Scranton. Say, why can't we get Corey to go after Rackman? After all, Rackman threatened your life. Corey would want to know why. Wouldn't be smart to tell him. Yeah, but maybe we could work it well, something like this. Tell Corey that you want to make up for that jam you were in last year and... and Tip him off about some crime Rackman killed. Oh, you'd get Rackman out of the way. But he might suspect you informed on him. I'd still have Rackman's gang to contend with. There must be some way you could use him. Wait a minute, I've got it. Instead of getting Corey to go after Rackman, we get Rackman to go after Corey. Now listen, when Corey lands, I'll bring him in here. You have one. I'm sorry, Commander. Your ship's the only one to come into our Gold Star spaceport in the last 16 hours. Business has been pretty slack. Well, has any ship requested landing permission and then canceled within the last few hours? No. No, I've been here all the time myself. I'd know about such a call. Happy, you checked over those ships in the repair hangars. What do you think? Well, two of them were small cargo jobs, but by the look of them, they've been there for days. The rocket exhausts aren't even warm. I see. As I promised you, Commander, I'll notify the Space Patrol Jupiter whenever a ship does come in, for any reason at all. Fine, Mr. Scranner. What was that? Came from the direction of our ship. Come on. It sounded like the whole atmosphere dome collapsed. Hey, smoke and rockets, Commander, look. Somebody backed a truck into our ship. Well, worse than that, he rammed a metal beam right through the hull. Uh, that clumsy ox. I'm going out there and... You tell your driver to pull the truck straight ahead now. I think the endurium beam will pull out without causing any more damage. You heard the commander, Mr. Loring. Tell that driver to move that truck. Yes, Mr. Scranner. All right, Davis, move it. Forward this time. 
Patch clear. Well, the next thing is to get it repaired. Commander, I hold myself personally responsible for this inexcusable accident. My company will repair the damage. All right, Mr. Spanner. But let's wait till Happy comes out of the ship. Maybe he won't have the men and equipment. Some delicate wiring is affected. Who couldn't have backed his truck into that old cargo? No, no. He's got to pick the flagship of the commander-in-chief of the space patrol. That could have been worse. The driver didn't do it intentionally. Very gracious about it, Commander. And since you insist, I won't fire the man. Doesn't look so good, Commander. I mean, as far as a quick blast-off's concerned. What's the damage, Hattie? Well, outer and inner hulls are pierced, the power cable broken, emergency air supply conduit snapped into. Nothing really difficult to repair, but, well, it'll take some time. Three hours, anyway. Now, my men will get on it right away. I'll have them drop everything else. Three hours? That'll make me late for my appointment at Jupiter City. Well, we could space it in for a patrol ship to come and get us. Why don't you take my private cruiser over there? It's quite fast. I'm sure you'd have no trouble operating. Won't you be needing your ship? No, not until tomorrow. By then, your ship will be ready. Well, if you're sure it's not an inconvenience, I'll take you up on it. Excellent. That makes me feel a lot better. And if you don't mind, we'll blast off right away. The ship's all ready. Good. Pap, let's get some of our gear out of Terra 5. Right, sir. It worked, Mr. Scranner. <laughs> well, Loring, let's see if Rackman will carry out his threat to blast my ship to bits. <laughs> don't worry, Chief. Bad little ship, Commander. Scranner keeps it in pretty good shape. Yes, but I don't care much about using a civilian ship for official business. You know, I honestly think Scranner would have been offended if you had refused. Still, if it wasn't such an urgent appointment with the governor, I'd have waited for one of our patrol ships. Well, we ought to get to Jupiter City right on the nose. Wow, what was that? Cosmic torpedo right off our port side. Cosmic torpedo? I'll take the controls, Happy. Put on the rear view scope. Yes, sir. One of our patrol ships must be firing at us. Without a space phone challenge? Maybe Scranner's space phone receiver's out of order. It seems all right. The meter's checked. Wow. That was too close. It rocked the ship. Commander, look in the view scope. There's another private cruiser, and it's closing in. Happy, go to the locker, get a couple of spacesuits. If our hull gets punctured, we'll still have a chance. All right, Commander. I'll try to find out what this space pirate wants. Private cruiser J3587 calling private cruiser S642. Hold your fire. Hurry with the suits. Cruiser S-642, hold your fire. This is Commander Corey of the Space Patrol and Cruiser J-3587. Who do you think you're fooling, Scranner? You're not fooling. This is not Scranner. It's Scranner's ship, but this is Commander Corey. Who are you? Yes, well, I'm the Secretary General. <laughs> Who are you? Stop firing those torpedoes and answer me. Nice try, Scranner. That's Commander Corey, Jack, I mean. But you can only fool straight, wrecked, and fun. Happy, knock the power out. Hurry with those spacesuits. He's blasting the ship to pieces. We're losing air. We'll return to Space Patrol in just a moment. Hey, watch it. Hold everything. Here he comes. And he's running right this way. Wow. That's a boy here in the neighborhood gang, and he's always supercharged. Eats rice checks and wheat checks. That's why they're the super cereals that help to supercharge you. Uh-oh, he's running right in this direction again. I better get out of the way fast. Man, that boy has the speed of Buzz Corey himself. Well, gang, how about it? How about getting supercharged so you can whiz along just like that? Here's all you do. Have a good power breakfast with rice checks or wheat checks. 
the delicious bite-sized super cereals. They help to turn on your starter, help to make you bright as a light, help to keep you right on the beam. So don't wait. Get Rice Checks and Wheat Checks today. The swell-tasting super cereals that help to supercharge you. And remember, inside of every Rice Checks and Wheat Checks package, there's a mysterious magic space picture. And now, back to our Space Patrol adventure, Treachery in Outer Space. Slake Rackman is blasting Rex Scranner's spaceship, believing his double-crossing partner is inside it. Actually, Scranner has plotted so that Commander Corey and Cadet Happy are in the ship. Thus, Scranner figures he's saving his own life and at the same time eliminating Buzz Corey. At this moment, Buzz and Happy are in the badly battered private space cruiser trying to get into spacesuits as their air pressure rushes through twisted hull plates into outer space. Into the airlock. Quickly, Happy. Can breathe. We can put on our spacesuits in there. Hurry, Happy. Yes, sir. There's no air in the lock either. It escaped him. We opened the hatch. I'll turn the valve up. Oh, that's better. Get your suit on quickly, Happy. Are we going to jump out of the ship, sir? Yeah, not if that cruiser stops firing at us. Well, what did he say his name was, sir? Rackman. He's after Scranner. Isn't he ever going to stop? He's going to be sure no one's left alive in this ship. I've got my suit on, sir. I'm ready to leave the airlock anytime you are. Close your helmet faceplate and we'll go back into the control section. say Corey's had plenty of time to reach Jupiter City. <laughs> Should we check to see if he's arrived yet? Just to be sure? Yeah. We'll notify Jupiter City Space Patrol the commander's ship has been repaired that it can be picked up any time. Convenient. That'll show the Space Patrol that we're very cooperative. <laughs> then maybe they'll let us know if something happened to Corey. What do you mean, if? What chance would Corey have in your ship against Rackman's armored job? Right. While I call Jupiter Space Patrol, you give the boys orders to start loading those crates of Amphitron. I'll take them to Venus right away. But suppose the Space Patrol comes to pick up Corey's ship while we're loading. What if they do? Are they going to suspect us of loading stolen goods right in front of them? Yeah. I guess you're right. You're sitting pretty, Loring. Rackman got rid of Corey for us. And when he finds out it was Corey and not me, he'll go into hiding. <laughs> he won't dare show his face anywhere. Order the men to load the Amphitron. Space 
Space Patrol Jupiter calling Commander Corey. Space Patrol Jupiter calling Commander Corey. Corey here, go ahead. Two ships are on the way to the location you've given us, Commander. A patrol ship to bring you and the cadet to Jupiter City, and a space tug to get the damaged ship out of the space lanes. Good. Be sure to inform all personnel not to reveal information as to who was in this ship. Yes, sir. Oh, Commander, we've heard from Gold Star Express Spaceport on number three. Yes? Mr. Scranner says the Terra 5 has been repaired and that they're waiting further instructions. Send Scranner this message. You will be informed when Space Patrol personnel will arrive to remove Terra 5. Your cooperation appreciated. I have it, sir. Uh, do I put your signature on it, sir? No, keep my name out of it. Your commanding officer will sign it. I'll take it to Colonel Harris immediately, Commander. Thank you. Hurry out. Then you're going to let somebody else bring our ship back to Jupiter City, Commander? No. You and I will go back to room number three when we finish our business on Jupiter. For the time being, I don't want anyone outside of the space. Men are loading the Amplitron cases into that Class C cargo ship, Mr. Scranner. You ought to be ready to blast off in an hour. Good. Heard anything about your ship or Corey? I received a spacegram saying that Space Patrol personnel would pick up the Terra 5. It was signed by Colonel Harris of Jupiter Space Patrol. Hmm. If it's just a routine pickup of the ship, why would the Colonel be involved? Exactly. Now, why wouldn't Corey's name be on the message? Obviously because there's no longer a Commander Corey. I've seen it happen before, Lloyd. This is the kind of official smokescreen that always goes up before some important announcement. Private Cruiser S6. Calling Gold Star Express Spaceport on Jupiter Moon Number Three. Look at that I know what he wants. Remember, you don't know anything about me except that I blasted off some time ago. Private Cruiser S642 calling Gold Star Express Spaceport Jupiter Number Three. Gold Star Express Jupiter Number Three. Go ahead, Cruiser S642. I would like to speak to the person in charge. Oh, that'd be Mr. Scranner, but he isn't here now. I know that. But who is in charge in Mr. Scranner's absence? Why, uh. I guess I would be Bart Loring. Oh, Loring. Yeah, sure. Well, this is Slate Rackman. Yes, Mr. Rackman. Well, you probably know I had an arrangement with Mr. Scranner. Um, yes, he mentioned it. I'm sure he did. However, since Mr. Scranner isn't coming back, that puts you in charge of Gold Star Express. I, uh, don't understand. What do you mean Mr. Scranner isn't coming back? Well, he made the mistake of double-crossing me on that I don't know what you're talking about. Now, don't be a fool, Loring. Now that Scranner is gone, come in with me. If you don't, I'll send a cosmic torpedo into your atmosphere shell and destroy every one of you. Well, what do you say? Right. Well, you make a deal, Axe. What do you mean, Axe? You heard what he said. Mr. Rackman. Yeah, Loring. Uh, I'll be glad to discuss your proposition. Good. And in case you plan anything. Just come in, Mr. Rackman. I'm sure we can reach you. Come in, Mr. Rackman. I'm glad to see you're a man of sense, Laurie. Far more sensible than Scranner. Now, let's get down to cases. Where is the amplitron? It's being loaded into a ship, Rackman. 
It's Kenner. You left me to die in my ship. Uh, but uh, who was in it? And the quarry or the space patrol? Me. He did say it was Corey on the space phone. You thought it was a trick. Of course, you were so anxious to do away with me. Well, I... Uh, actually, uh, I'm glad it was Corey. Now you and I can operate without much fear of being caught. Now, look here. Here's my proposition. Let it rack him. I don't need you anymore. But I can give you a small job in my outfit. Been in the five capacity. Me? Work for you? Why, you're nothing but a space mechanic and a small time on a dash. You got your choice, Rackman. Come in with me and keep quiet. I'll tell the space patrol who blasted my ship and destroyed Commander Corey. Well, which is it? All right, Skrana. I'll come in with you. I hope you appreciate how big-hearted I am. Yeah, sure, sure. Space Patrol Cruiser J-83 calling Gold Star Spaceport, Jupiter Moon number three. I'll handle it. Gold Star Spaceport to Space Patrol. Go ahead. I'm acting on instructions of Colonel Harris at Jupiter Space Patrol headquarters. I'm bringing in the pilot who will fly Commander Corey's space battle cruiser back to Jupiter. Do I have permission to enter your atmosphere, show? Of course. The Terra 5's already. Good. Space lock will be ready at your approach. Thank you. Space Patrol Cruiser J-83 out. Yeah. Well, Rackman, it looks as though you did a good job sending someone after Corey's ship. You must have finished him all right, Rackman. You hear that, pilot? He said he was acting on orders of Colonel Harris. Yeah, what about my ship out there on the port? I'll assign a few men to work on it. It looked just as though it's in for repairs. And so Corey's ship blasts off, Rackman. You keep on. Cut the velocity, Happy. There's the Gold Star spaceport dome. Commander, are you going to ask Craner why Rackman would want to blast his ship to pieces? First, I want to find out just who Rackman is. Jupiter City headquarters didn't have anything on him at all. Maybe a personal feud. Uh-oh. What is it, sir? Ship down there inside the atmosphere dome. The private cruiser, number S-642. Rackman's ship? Yes. Yeah, but if he, if he wrecked Scranner's ship and thought he did away with Scranner, what's he doing here at Scranner's spaceport? An interesting question, Happy. Let's find the answer. Gentlemen, is the ship... Commander Corey. Yes, Brandon. Why the surprise? Well, I... Uh, didn't you expect me to come back to my ship? Well, uh, yes, yes. Except that you didn't identify yourself when you called in for landing procedure. Well, where is Rackman? Rack? He's Rack, the man who brought in that private cruiser out there near the east hangar. Uh, that ship was merely brought in for repairs, Commander. Strange. It seemed to be in good condition when it was blasting cosmic torpedoes at your ship don't understand. Look, Scranner, somebody blew your ship to pieces thinking you were in it. Someone named Rackman. Now his ship is here in your spaceport. How do you explain it? What is there to explain? Quit stalling, Scranner. Cadet Happy and I saw some men loading a cargo ship, hauling crates out of an underground storage vault. The crates look very much like the type in which Amplitron is packed. How about it? I think it's about time someone took over who can handle things. Don't move, Corey. I suppose you're Rackman. That's right. Corey... Move in and get the commander's weapons and the cadets. Go ahead. I got them covered. Sure, Mr. Rackman. I see I wasn't thorough enough when you were in Scranner's ship. But that's a mistake I can easily correct right now. Hurry up, Loring. Take the commander's ray gun. 
Hand me your ray gun, Commander. All right, Loring. Here it is. Get Scranner happy. Yes, sir. You're a fool, Corey. You're too against Ray. Not now. That evens it up, Commander. Well, watch Loring. Hello, Loring. All right, Scranner. Want some more? Wait. Wait. Commander, please. Had enough? Yeah. Yeah, you've got to revive Rackman. Hurry or we'll all be destroyed. Oh, why? He told me if he wasn't out of this atmosphere shell in half an hour, his men had blast a cosmic torpedo in us. We've only got five minutes. Oh. Bring him to. Let him tell us men he's all right. Come on, Scranner. Matter, I mean it. A torpedo through this shell would destroy us all. Forget it, Scranner. I don't think Rackman's men are worried about him right now. Look out there above the dome. Space? Dozens of I took the precaution of making a space phone call when I was inspecting Terra 5. You're safe, Scranner. Yes, yeah, Scranner. Where you're going, you'll be safe for a long, long time. We'll return in just a moment with a preview of next week's exciting space football adventure. Gang, there's not much time. What do you mean, Captain Tufel? No, sorry, there's not much time. Hey, Captain, not much time for what? To get a projectoscope. This offer will soon end. You had me scared. I already got my projectoscope. Ah, lucky you, but say, gang, how about you? Have you sent for your projectoscope yet? You better send for it today. It's a signal light, flashlight, and film projector, all in one. And it's shaped like Buzz Corey's rocket ship, bright blue and yellow plastic, and a full six inches long. What a signal light. Wait till you see how fast it blinks on and off. Golly. What a flashlight. Wait till you see the swell beam of light it throws. What a film projector. Wait till you see the wonderful pictures it shows on the wall. Gang, it comes with a strip of film containing Buzz, Corey, and Cadet Happy in four space patrol adventures. Mighty Meteor, Space Pirates, Men from Mars, and Robot Invasion. Slip the film in your projectoscope, darken the room, push the radar antenna, and a picture flashes on the wall. To show a whole adventure, you just slide the film from picture to picture. But remember, the projectoscope offers soon ends. So send in for your projectoscope today. Just buy a box of rice checks or wheat checks. Then with your name and address, send 35 cents in coin and a rice checks or wheat checks box top to Space Patrol, Box 686, St. Louis, Missouri. This offer good only in the USA and may be withdrawn at any time. That's Space Patrol, Box 686, St. Louis, Missouri. And now, a preview of next week's exciting Space Patrol adventure. Buzz and Happy are in a surface car driving through the Venus Mountains toward the Space Patrol testing grounds. As they speed over the dangerous road, they're unaware that a container of sleeping gas hidden in the car is expelling a dangerous vapor. Wow, I've seen these cliffs from the air, but I never realized how high they really are. Oh. From this road, it's a thousand foot drop to the bottom of the gorge. Hey, Commander, are you sure you don't want me to drive it? If you get sleepy, you... Hey, Commander. Hmm? Hey, Commander, look out. We're headed for the edge of the cliff. Hey, Commander, wake up. We're going over. Be sure to be with us next week for the exciting adventure, The Immortal Brain, when wheat checks, rice checks, and good hot Ralston again present Space Patrol. <laughs> Special bulletin for boys and girls in Columbus, Ohio, Wilkes-Barre, and Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
Buzz Corey's own space battle cruiser, the Ralston Rocket, will be in your area next week. Don't miss it. The Ralston Rocket. Space Patrol, an original Mike Moser production starring Ed Kemmer as Commander Corey and Lynn Osborne as Cadet Happy, was written by Lou Houston and directed by Larry Robertson. Other players were Ken Mayer, Bela Kovach, Norman Jolly, and David Duval. Dick Tufel speaking. Now, don't forget to tune in next Saturday and every Saturday when Wheat Checks, Rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston again present Space Patrol! And be sure to see another exciting Space Patrol program on your local ABC television station. Consult your local paper for time and channel. Space Patrol comes to you transcribed from Hollywood. This is ABC Radio Network. Read Conflict with Shadows. A fast-paced story of invading darkness. The first in a series of light versus darkness, and the connection with the past to help fight for the future. When the Bathshe invade, John Vega and Nicolay Dan must come together to stop them from destroying their worlds. It will lead them far beyond known space only to find out that this is more than a battle for territory, but a battle for the souls of mankind. But there is always hope. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows at your favorite online bookstore. of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Prepared for radio in 13 episodes by Brian Sibley. With Ian Holm, Michael Horden, Robert Stevens, and Peter Woodthorpe. Episode 8, adapted by Michael Bakewell. The Voice of Saruman. Gandalf the White. Once more you come in the hour of need unlooked for. Unlooked for? I said I would return and meet you here. But you did not name the hour nor foretell the manner of your coming. Strange help you bring. Strange to cover bare hillsides with a mighty forest. Uh, you are mighty in wizardry. The trees. That is no deed of mine. It is not wizardry, but a power far older. A power that walked the earth. Ere elf sang or hammer rang, ere iron was found or tree was hewn, when young was mountain under moon, ere ring was made or wrought was woe, it walked the forests long ago. And what may be the answer to your riddle? <laughs> if you would learn the truth of the trees that walk the earth, you should come with me to Isengard. To Isengard? But there are not now enough in the mark to assault the stronghold of Isengard. We go to a parley, not a fight. I wish to speak to Saruman. And since he has done you great injury, it would be fitting if you were there. But I cannot leave without tidings of Ermere. He was not with us in the Hornburg. Fear not for Ermere, Lord. He comes to greet you. Hail, Lord of the Mark. Welcome, sister son. Now that I see you safe, I am glad indeed. And Gimli, bloodied and bandaged, but still on his legs. Forty-two, Master Legolas. <laughs> Alas, my axe is notched. The 42nd had an iron collar on his neck. How is it with you? You've passed my score by one. <laughs> but I do not grudge you the game, so glad am I to see you. But you have missed a wondrous thing, Legolas. The caverns beneath Helm's Deep. 
immeasurable halls filled with an everlasting music of water. No dwarf could be unmoved by such loveliness. You make me regret that I have not seen them. Come, let us make this bargain. If we both return safe out of the perils that await us, we will journey for a while together. You shall visit Fangorn with me, the greatest and oldest of forests, and I will come with you to Helm's Deep. You have my promise. But now we must leave behind both cave and wood. Whither are we bound, Gandalf? To Isengard. We must ride swiftly. Tarry a little. My men are weary with battle, and I am weary also. Alas, my old age is not feigned, nor due only to the whisperings of worm tongue. Then let all who are to ride with me rest now. We will journey under the shadow of evening. I thought we were making the mysterious. What is this, Isengard? A fair city once, built in a circle like a vast shallow bowl. Once it was green, filled with avenues and groves of fruitful trees. The trees no longer grow in Isengard. Since Saruman took the city, it's become dark and hard. Marble and copper grow there now. Iron wheels endlessly revolve and plumes of vapor steam from the vents. The fair ring of Isengard is like a graveyard of the unquiet dead. And in the center stands the citadel of Saruman, the tower of Orthang, Mount Fang. Once wise men watched the stars there. Now Saruman has shaped it to his own shifting purposes, aping the might of Sauron in his dark tower of Baradur. And this is the iron stronghold we are making for. A handful of battle-scarred men on weary horses. Trust of Gandalf, Gimli. There was laughter in his speech when he spoke of the riddle that would be answered in Isengard. Behold, the towers of Isengard. They are beaten into the dust. The gates are cast down, the walls broken. Eaters of the great sea had risen in wrath upon the city. Only the Tower of Orthanc remains, and no sign of any living creature. Oh, no, my lord. There seem to be two people taking their ease and feasting amidst the rubble of Saruman's stronghold. One of them is breathing fire. Uh, welcome, my lords, to Isengard. We are the Door Wardens. Meriadoc, son of Saradoc, is my name. Pippin, son of Paladin of the House of Took. At your service. And have you no greeting for your companions? Gimli! Legolas! You rascals! You woolly-footed and woolly-pated truants! A fine hunt you've led us. Two hundred leagues through fen and forest, battle and death. And here we find you feasting and idling and smoking. And where did you come by the weed, you villains? Hammer and... Chongs. I'm so torn between rage and joy that if I do not burst, it will be a marvel. Where is Saruman? The, the Lord Saruman is within the tower, but at the moment he is closeted with one Wormtongue, or doubtless he would be here to welcome such honourable guests. <laughs> doubtless he would. And was it Saruman that ordered you to guard his damaged doors and watch for the arrival of guests? 
When your attention could be spared from plate and bottle? Our orders came from Trebiad, who has taken over the management of Isengard. He commanded us to welcome the Lord of Rohan with fitting words. So these are the last ones of your company, Gandalf. Are they not the halflings of legend that some among us call the Hobbiton? Hobbits, if you please, Lord. Hobbits, then. I had not heard that they spouted smoke from their mouths. Mm, that is not surprising, for it is an art which we have not practised for more than a few generations. It was Tobold Hornblower of Longbottom in the South Farthing who first grew the true pipeweed. Mm, and that would have been... Let me see now. Yes, that, that, that would have been about the year 1070. <clears throat> you do not mm. know your danger, Theoden. These hobbits will sit on the edge of ruin and discuss the pleasures of the table or the small doings of their fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, remote cousins to the ninth degree, if you encourage them with undue patience. Come, we must perform the task for which we came here and pay a visit to Saruman. Dangerous and probably useless, but it must be done. Those of you who wish may come with the Lord Theoden and myself, but beware... I will come. I wish to see him and learn if he really looks like you. And how will you learn that, Master Dwarf? Saruman could look like me in your eyes if it suited his purpose with you. And are you yet wise enough to detect all his counterfeits? Well, we shall see. I shall order the Ents who are guarding him in his tower to remove themselves from sight, so perhaps we shall persuade him to come out. What's the danger? Will he shoot at us and pour fire out of the windows, or can he put a spell on us from a distance? The last is most likely if you ride to his door with a light heart. But there is no knowing what he can do or may choose to try. A wild beast cornered is not safe to approach, and Saruman has powers you do not guess. Beware of his voice. Saruman? Saruman? Saruman, come forth! He will not come. Who is it? What do you wish? I know that voice, and I curse the day when I first listened to it. Go and ask Saruman to come down to us. Since you have become his footman, Grima Wormtongue, and do not waste our time. What is it that you want? Why must you disturb my rest? Will you give me no peace at all, by night or day? Like Gandalf, and yet unlike. Such gentleness, such benevolence. But come now. Two at least of you I know by name. Gandalf I know too well to have much hope that he seeks help or counsel here. But you, Theoden, Lord of the Mark of Rohan, why have you not come before? And as a friend, much have I desired to see you, mightiest king of western lands, to save you from the unwise and evil counsels that beset you. Is it yet too late? Despite the injuries that have been done to me, in which the men of Rohan, alas, have had some part, still I would save you from the ruin that draws nigh inevitably if you ride upon this road which you have taken. 
Indeed, I alone can aid you now. The words of this wizard stand on their heads. In the language of Orthanc, help means ruin, and saving means slaying. That is plain. But we do not come here to beg. Peace. I do not speak to you yet, Gimli, glowing sun. Far away is your home, and small concern of yours are the troubles of this land. But it was not by design of your own that you became embroiled in them, and so I do not blame such part as you have played. A valiant one, I doubt not. But I pray you let me speak first with the King of Rohan, my neighbour, and once my friend. What have you to say, Feodon King? Will you have peace with me, and all the aid that my knowledge, founded in long years, can bring? Lord Theoden, hear me! Now we feel the peril that we were warned of. Have we ridden forth to victory, only to stand at last amazed by an old liar with honey on his forked tongue? If we speak of poisoned tongues, what shall we say of yours, young serpent? But come, Aeomer, Aeomer's son, to every man his part. Valor in arms is yours. But meddle not in policies which you do not understand. Ah! The friendship of Saruman and the power of Orthanc cannot be lightly thrown aside. You have won a battle, but not a war, and that with help on which you cannot count again. But my Lord of Rowan, am I to be called a murderer because valiant men have fallen in battle? If you go to war needlessly. For I did not desire it. Then men will be slain. Speak, fair and king. Shall we have peace and friendship, you and I? It is ours to command. We will have peace. Yes, we will have peace. We will have peace when you and all your works have perished. And the works of your dark master, to whom you would deliver us. You are a liar, Saruman, and the corrupter of men's hearts. You hold out your hand to me, and I perceive only a finger of the claw of Mordor, cruel and cold. What will you say of the children of Rohan, who lie dead at Helm's Deep? When you hang from a gibbet at your window. For the sport of your own crows, I will have peace with you and Orthanc. Gibbets and crows, Dotard! What is the house of Aeol but a thatched barn where brigands drink in the reek and their brats roll on the floor among the dogs? Too long have they escaped the gibbet themselves. I know not why I have the patience to speak with you, but you, Gandalf, for you at least I am grieved. Feeling for your shame. How comes it that you can endure such company? For you are proud, Gandalf, and not without reason, having a noble mind and eyes that look both far and deep. Even now, will you not listen to my counsel? What have you to say that you did not say at our last meeting? Or perhaps you have things to unsay. Unsay, unsay. I endeavoured to advise you for your own good, but you scarcely listened. 
You erred, I think, misconstruing my intentions willfully. I fear that in my eagerness to persuade you, I lost patience. And indeed, I regret it. For I bore you no ill will. And even now I bear none, though you return to me in the company of the violent and the ignorant. Gandalf, are we not both members of a high and ancient order, most excellent in Middle-earth? Much we could still accomplish together to heal the disorders of the world. For the common good, I am willing to redress the past and to receive you. Will you not consult with me? Will you not come up? He will go, and we shall be lost. <laughs> Saruman! Saruman, you missed your path in life. You should have been the king's jester and earned your bread by mimicking his counsellors. When I last visited you, you were the jailer of Mordor. And there I was to be sent. <laughs> Nay, the guest who has escaped from the roof will think twice before he comes back in by the door. <laughs> Nay, I do not think I will come up. But will you not come down? Listen, Saruman. Isengard has proved less strong than your hope and fancy made it. Your servants are destroyed and scattered. Your neighbors you have made your enemies... And you have cheated your new master. Or tried to do so. When his eye turns hither, it will be the red eye of wrath. And I have the power to protect you. You may leave Orthanc free if you choose. That sounds well. Very much in the manner of Gandalf the Grey. So condescending and so very kind. There are conditions, I suppose. What do you mean by free? To go where you will, even to Mordor, Saruman, if you desire. But you will first surrender to me the key of Orthanc and your staff. They shall be the pledges of your conduct to be returned later if you merit them. Later! Later! Yes! When you ought to have the keys of Barad-dur itself, I suppose, and the crowns of seven kings, and the rods of the five wizards. Do not be a fool. If you wish to treat with me while you have a chance, leave behind these cutthroats that dangle at your tail. Good day! Come back, Saruman! And he obeys like a whipped cur. I did not give you leave to go. I have not finished. I am not Gandalf the Grey, whom you betrayed. I am Gandalf the White, who has returned from death. You have no color now, and I cast you from the Order and the Council. Saruman, your staff is broken! I'll go and get it. The murderous rogue! A parting shot from Master Wormtongue, I fancy, but 
ill-aimed. But he may have other things to cast. If that is the end of the debate, let us go out of stone's throw at least. It is the end. Let us go. But what will you do with Saruman? Nothing. I do not wish for mastery. He will be devoured if the power of Sauron stretches out its arms to Isengard. Strange are the turns of fortune. I must speak with Treebeard. Will you come with me, Theoden, King, to see the answer to my riddle? Boom. So, Saruman would not leave Orthanc. I didn't think he would. His heart is as rotten as a black horn's. Still... If I would overcome and all my trees destroyed, I wouldn't come while I had one dark hole left to hide in. No, but you have not plotted to cover all the world with your trees and choke all other living things. But there it is. Saruman remains to nurse his hatred. He has the key to Orthanc. But he must not be allowed to escape. Indeed, no. Ents will see to that. Saruman shall not set foot beyond the rock. We shall not tire of watching her of... Pippin! Pippin! What has happened? I, I, I don't know. He, he was sitting alone looking at the thing Wormtongue threw down. The thing Wormtongue threw down? Let me see. A palantir. Oh, how could I have made such a blunder? There can be few treasures in Orthac more precious than this which Worm Tongue threw at us. But what harm has the lad done to himself and to all of us? Pippin, do you hear me? Tell Saruman that this dainty is not for him. I will send for it at once. Do you understand? Tell him that. Peregrine, too. Come back. Gandalf. Gandalf, forgive me. What have you done? Forgive me. But I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. I looked into the ball and I saw things that frightened me. What did you see? I don't want to think about it. You must. Tell me. I saw a dark sky and tall battlements and tiny stars. It seemed very far away and long ago, yet hard and clear. Then the stars went in and out. They were cut off by things with wings, like bats, but very big. I thought there were nine of them. One began to fly straight towards me. It had a horrible... No, no, I can't say. Tell us. Then he came. He did not speak so that I could hear words. He just... looked. And I understood. <coughs> So, you have come back. Why have you neglected to report for so long? That is not Saruman. Who are you? And what was your answer? I didn't want to tell him anything. But it, it, was, but it was as if he was pressing me very hard. 
And I couldn't stand it any longer, and I said I was a hobbit. And he laughed at me. It was like being stabbed with knives. And then he said, We shall meet again soon. Tell Saruman this dainty is not for him. I will send for it at once. Do you understand? And that was all? That was all. Then rest for a while, if you can. For soon, you must come with me on a long journey. How is Pippin? I think all will be well. He wasn't held long, and hobbits have an amazing power of recovery, but we have had a narrow escape. At last, we know the link between Isengard and Mordor and mm. how it worked. Much is explained. Maybe I have been saved by this hobbit from some grave blunder. If I had probed the stone, I should have been revealed to him myself. Has not the time come for that? No, not yet, no. There remains a short while of doubt which we must use. The enemy, it's clear, thinks that the stone is still in Orthanc and the hobbit, and he does not know which hobbit, is held captive there. That dark mind will be filled now with the voice and face of the hobbit and with the conviction that he is the ring-bearer. It may take some time before he learns his error, and we must snatch that time. Will you, Aragorn, take the Orthanc stone and guard it? It is a dangerous charge. Dangerous indeed, but not to all. Now my hour draws near, I will take it. For this assuredly is the Palantir from the treasury of Elendil, set here by the kings of Gondor. Receive it, Lord, in earnest of other things that shall be given back. Nazgul! The messenger of Mordor! He's looking for me! No, Pippin, no, he wasn't looking for you. It's 200 miles from Sauron's Tower of Barad-dûr to Orthanc, and even a Nazgul would take a few hours to fly between them. But Isengard is no place to linger in. I will ride ahead to Minas Tirith at once with Peregrine Took. Open ways are safe no longer. Tomorrow I shall make for the cover of the hills. The storm is rising. I shall away with Pippin on Shadowfax. Farewell. Follow fast. Tall ships and tall kings, three times three. What brought they from the foundered land over the flowing sea? Seven stars and seven stones and one white tree. What are you saying, Gandalf? I was just running through some of the rhymes of lore in my mind. I've never heard that one. What are the seven stones? The palantiri of the kings of old. The name meant that which looks far away. The Orthanc stone was one. And it wasn't made by the enemy? No, nor by Saruman. The palantiri came from beyond Westerness, from Eldamar. The Noldor made them. What did the men of old use them for? To see far off and to converse in thought with one another. In that way, they long guarded and united the realm of Gondor. The palantiri were forgotten, save for the rhyme I spoke. The palantir of Orthanc must have withstood the storm of time... Alone, it could do nothing but see small images of things far off and days remote. But this was not enough for Saruman. Further and further abroad he gazed until he cast his gaze upon Barad-dûr. Then he was caught. What's Barad-dûr? 
the stronghold of Sauron in Mordor. Mordor. I wonder if Frodo's reached there yet. I wish I had a Palantir to see if he's all right. There it is, little hobbitses. Kiris Gorgo. The haunted pass. Do you see those towers, precious? The teeth of Mordor. That's what they call them. <laughs> and they bite. Across the mouth of the pass, from cliff to cliff, the Dark Lord had built a rampart of stone. In it, there was a single gate of iron, and upon its battlements, sentinels paced unceasingly. Well, here we are. Here's the gate, and it looks to me as if that's about as far as we're going to get. Oh, my word, but the gaffer would have a thing or two to say if he saw me now. He often said I'd come to a bad end. If I didn't watch my step, he did. Well, this is a bad end, sure enough. I suppose it's no good asking what way do we go now. Unless we want to ask an orc for a lift. Silly hobbit. We can't go further. Smeagol said so. He said, we'll go to the gate and then we'll see. And we do see. Oh, yes, my precious. We do see. Smeagol knows hobbits is going well this way. What in the play did you bring us here for? Master said so. Master says, bring us to the gate. So good Smeagol does so. Master said so. Wise master. Yes, I did. I said so because I purpose to enter Mordor and I know no other way. Therefore, I shall go this way. No, no. Master. I do not ask anyone to go with me. No use this way. No use. Don't take the precious sin. He'll eat us all if he gets us into eat all the world. Don't let him have it. Go away. Go to nice places and give it back to little Smeagol. Oh, yes, Smeagol will keep it safe. It will do lots of good, especially to nice hobbitses. Hobbits, go home. Don't go to the gate. I am commanded to go to the land of Mordor, and therefore I shall go. Not this way, master. If there is only one way, then I must take it. <laughs> there is. Another way. Master, yes, yes, indeed there is, yes. Smeagol found it. Let, 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 let Smeagol show you. This you way. have not spoken of this before. Master did not ask. Master did not say what he meant to do. He says, Smeagol, take me to the gate and then goodbye. <laughs> but now he says, I propose to enter Mordor this way. So Smeagol's very afraid. He does not want to lose. Nice, Master. And he promised. Master made him promise to say the precious. But Master's going to take it to him. Straight to the black hand if Master will go this way. So Smeagol <laughs> thinks of another way that there was once upon a time. Nice, Master. Smeagol very good. <laughs> What's he up to? This way. Is it Slinker Smeagol or Stinker Gollum who's doing the talking? Or have they made a truce so they can keep their eye on the ring as long as possible? 
It's a good thing neither half of the old villain don't know what the master intends to do. If he knew that Mr. Frodo was trying to put an end to his precious for good and all, it'd be trouble pretty quick, I bet. I hope the master will think it out carefully. Well, he's as wise as any, but he's soft-hearted. That's what he is. Smeagol. I will trust you once more. So far, you have deserved well of me and have kept your promise truly. For twice now, we have been in your power and you have done no harm to us. No. May the third time prove the best. But I warn you, Smeagol, you are in danger. Yes, yes, Master. Dreadful danger. I did not mean the danger we all share, Smeagol. I mean a danger to yourself. Mm-hmm. You swore a promise by what you call the pressure. It will hold you to it. But it will seek a way to twist you to your own undoing. Mm-hmm. Already you are being twisted. Mm-hmm. Yes, you revealed yourself to me just now very foolishly. What did nice Smeagol say? Give it back to Smeagol, you say. Do not ever say that again. You will never get it back. No, no, that's so nice. In the last need, Smeagol, I should put on the precious. And the precious mastered you long ago. If I, wearing it, were to command you, you would obey, even if it were to leap from a precipice or to cast yourself into the fire. And such would be my command. Nice master. Speaker will be good. Nice master. Be kind. Be kind. Don't frighten us. Come now. Or Smeagol, if you wish. Tell me of this other way. There's an old road that winds it and climbs its way up towards the tall shadows. When it turns round the black rock, you'll see it. Suddenly see it above you and you'll... You want to hide. What will you say? The old fortress? Mm, very old. Very horrible. Oh. <laughs> we used to hear tales from the south when Smeagol was young. Long ago. <laughs> we used to tell lots of tales in the evening, sitting by the banks of the great river in the Willowlands. <laughs> when the river was younger, too. <laughs> what about the road? Tales. Tales out of the south about the tall men with shining eyes. They built very tall towers, and one they raised was silver white, and in it there was a stone, like the moon. Oh, yes. Ah, there were many tales about the tower of the moon. That would be Minas Ithil. That Isildur, the son of Elendil, built. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was Isildur who cut off the finger of the enemy. Yes! He has only four fingers on the black hand, but oh, they are enough. Mm. And he hated Isildur's city. Oh, what does he not hate? But what has the Tower of the Moon to do with us? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not nice now, Master, not beautiful and meanness. Morgul, they calls it. Travellers shivers when they see it, but that is the only way. For the mountains are lower there. How will that help us? Surely the enemy knows all about his own mountains. And that way will be guarded as close as this. The the, the tower isn't empty, is it? No, 
No, not empty. Very dreadful things live there. Hawks, yes, almost hawks, but worse things. Worse things live there, too. <laughs> the silent watchers. Oh. So that's your advice, is it? Mm, mm. That we should go on another long march south to find ourselves in the same fit? No, no! No, Hobbits will straight to understand. He doesn't expect to tack that way. His eyes all around, but it attends to some places. More than others. He thinks no one can come to the Moon Tower without fighting big battles at the bridges as which he holds. Or getting lots of boats as which they cannot hide. Well, you seem to know a lot about what he's doing and thinking. Yes. Have you been talking to him lately or just hobnobbing with orcs? Not nice, Hobbit. Not sensible. Stupid Hobbit. Smeagol has talked to orcs, yes, yes, before mm. he met Marston to mm. many peoples. They all say that the big danger for the Black Hand is here. In the north. But away. Away down by the Tower of the Moon. He's not afraid, Master. Because there are silent watchers. Just so. And so we are to walk up and knock at their gate and ask if, if we're not on the right road for Mordor. Mm-hmm. We might as well do it here and save ourselves a long tramp. Don't make jokes about it. It isn't funny, stupid hobbit. Master, Master mustn't go through that gate into the terrible city. That is where Smeagol helps. Nice, Smeagol. Then no one tells him. No one tells him what it's all about. Smeagol helps again. He found it. He knows. What did you find? A little path leading up to the mountains. And then a stair, very long and narrow. Then more stairs, and then a, a tunnel, a dark tunnel, and at last, a little cleft. And a path high above the main path that goes down, 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 down. To Gorgoroth. It was that way that Smeagol got out of the darkness. But it was years ago. The path may have vanished now, but perhaps not. Perhaps not. I don't like the sound of it at all. If that path is still there, it'll be guarded too. Wasn't it guarded, gone? Guarded? Is it not guarded? (laughs) And did you escape out of the darkness, or... Were you permitted to depart on an errand? Mm. Hmm? That is what Aragorn thought. He found you by the dead marshes some years ago. It's a lie! He lied on me! Yes, he did! I did escape! All by my poor selves, yes! Of course I was told to search for the precious, and I have searched! But not for the black one, no. The precious was ours! Oh, is it But was. is this secret way guarded? <laughs> hmm? <laughs> is it guarded, Gollum? <laughs> yes. Yes, perhaps. No safe places in this country. But Master must try it. I'll go home. No other way. Then we must take it. What is its name? <laughs> but that name, Gollum would not or could not tell. It was Kirith Ungol, 
a name of dreadful rumour. Gandalf would have warned them, but Gandalf was far away. Pippin looked out from the shelter of Gandalf's cloak. Shadowfax was flying beneath the whirling stars, needing no urging and no guidance. To the right, Pippin could see vast shadows against the sky where the mountains of the south marched past. How long have we been riding now, Gandalf? Two nights since. Since I looked into the seeing stone. Do you think he can see us, Gandalf? Do you think he is watching us? We no longer have the stone, and in any case, the palantiri cannot see in darkness. And are there others, besides the one I found, and the one he uses? There were many once, but they've long since been lost, or buried, or drowned deep. Minas Anor had its stone, and Amonsul, and Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith? That's where we're going. Yes, Pippin, but the stone at Minas Tirith men have long forgotten. Who knows what became of it? So, four of the company still remain. It is time to set out from Isengard. Everywhere I hear tidings of war. The riders of Rohan must be summoned to the great muster of Eloras. I shall come there by way of Dunharrow, where my sister-daughter Erwin awaits me. And then? We shall ride to the aid of Minas Tirith. I must go down also to Minas Tirith. But I do not see the road I should take. No ways are safe since the coming of the Nazgul on their winged steeds. I will ride to Dunharrow by mountain roads, not by the plain. And I and my companions will ride with you, at least until I see more clearly what I must do. An hour long prepared approaches. And so they rode forth. Twenty-four horses on their long journey towards Minas Tirith. My Lord King... There are horsemen behind us. They are overtaking us, riding hard. Then we must turn and face them. Halt! Draw your swords. Halt! Halt! Who rides in Rohan? Halbarad Dunedan, ranger of the north I am. We seek one Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And we heard that he was in Rohan. And you have found him also. Mary, take the reins of my horse. I have them. Is it truly you, Aragorn? We have sought you long. It is I. Of all joys, this is the least expected. I have 30 men with me. That is all of our kindred that could be gathered in haste. We rode as swiftly as we might when your summons came. But I did not summon you, save only in wish. But come, all such matters must wait. What is that you bear, kinsman? Wrapped close and bound with so many thongs. It is a gift that I bring you from Arwen of Rivendell. She wrought it in secret, and long was the making. But she also sends word to you. The days now are short. Either our hope cometh, or all hopes end. Therefore I send thee what I have made for thee. Farewell, Elfstone. Now I know what you carry. Bear it still for me a while. I bear you also a message from Elrond. He bade me tell you, and the days are short. If thou art in haste, remember the paths of the dead. Always my days have seemed to me too short to achieve my desire, but great indeed will be my haste ere I take that road. Aragorn! 
Will your kinsman ride with us? If you give us leave, my lord. Ah, it is well. Let us ride to Helm's Deep, where we will take shelter for the night. And then on to Dunharrow. The night was old and the east grey when they rode up at last from Deeping Coombe and came back to the Hornburg. Their rest was brief, and they had scarce time to close their weary eyes before the sun was high. It is near the hour for setting out on our journey, my lord. Is the company assembled? All that can be spared. Only a small garrison will remain here at Helm's Deep. Five hundred men will ride with you to the weapon take at Edoras. Then let us go. Where is Aragorn? He is coming now. He is grey and weary as if many years had fallen upon his head in a single night. My lord, I must speak with you. Speak on. I am troubled in mind, lord. I have heard strange words and I see new perils far off. Tell me, Theoden, you ride now to Dunharrow. How long will it be ere you come there? I shall ride by mountain paths since the Nazgul are abroad. Before the night of the third day, we should come to the hold. And then you must ride to Edoras, to the weapon take, and I see that it cannot be hastened. Then, by your leave, Lord, I must take new counsel for myself and my kindred. We must ride our own road and no longer in secret. For me, the time of stealth is past. I will ride east by the swiftest way, and I will take the paths of the dead. The paths of the dead? dead? Why do you speak of them? If there be in truth such paths, their gate is in Dunharrow, but no living man may pass it. Alas, Aragorn, my friend, I had hoped that we should ride to war together. But if you seek the paths of the dead, then our parting is come, and it is little likely that we shall meet again under the sun. That road I will take, nonetheless. But I say to you, Aonair, that in battle we may yet meet again, though all the hosts of Mordor should stand between. But what about me? Mary, forgive me, I had quite forgotten. Exactly, you had forgotten. I know I have not been of much use yet, but I don't want to be laid aside like baggage to be called for when it is all over. What are you going to do with me? I think, Mary, that your road lies with the king if he will take you. I would count it an honour. I promised you, Mary Arrock, that you should sit by me in Meduseld and tell me tales of the Shire. But long will it be before we have time for tale-telling. Will you ride with me? May I? Oh, that would be splendid. I'm afraid I am only in everyone's way, but I should like to do anything I could, you know. Then you shall be my sword, Thane. Is there gear of war in this place, Eomer, that he could use? Maybe a light helm might be found to fit him, but we have no mail or sword for one of his stature. I have a sword. May I lay the sword of Meriadoc of the Shire on your lap, Theoden King? Receive my service, if you will. Gladly will I take it. Rise now, Mary Adoc, Esquire of Rohan, of the household of Meduseld. Take your sword and bear it unto good fortune. As a father you shall be to me. <laughs> For a little while. And now, Aragorn, it is time for us to part. You will do as you will, I know. It is your doom, maybe, to tread strange paths that others dare not. This parting grieves me, and my strength is lessened by it. But now I must take the mountain roads and delay no longer. Farewell. Then let us ride. Forward! What has happened? 
A shadow has fallen over A struggle somewhat grimmer than the Battle of the Hornburg. I have looked in the Stone of Orthanc. You have looked in that accursed Stone of Wizardry? Did you say aught to him? Even Gandalf feared that encounter. You forget to whom you speak. I am lawful master of the stone, and I had both the right and strength to use it. The right cannot be doubted. The strength was enough. Barely. Sauron? Sauron. Do you see me, Sauron? This is no wizard or halfling that you may bend to your will. Behold me, Sauron. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn, the heir of Isildur, the heir of Elendil, Elisa that is to be, king of the lands you have sought to make your own. Behold my sword and Duril, the flame of the west. Forged from the shards of Narsil, the sword of Elendil. The broken sword which cut from your finger the one ring. The ring of power. And did he speak to you? He said nothing. And yet the struggle was bitter. But he is not so mighty that he is above fear. But he wields great dominion, nevertheless, and now he will strike more swiftly. The hasty stroke often goes astray. We must press our enemy fast. I learned many things from the stone. A grave peril is approaching Gondor from the south that will draw off great strength from the defence of Minas Tirith. If it is not countered swiftly... The city will be lost in ten days. Then lost it must be, for what help is there to send thither, and how could it come in time? I have no help to send, therefore I must go myself. But there is only one way through the mountains that will bring me to the coastlands before all is lost. That is the paths of the dead. Can the living use such a road? And not perish? In this dark hour, the heir of Isildur may use it if he dare. But even if you pass that way, what will so few avail to counter the strokes of Mordor? This is the message brought to me from Elrond. Bid Aragorn remember the words of the seer and the paths of the dead. And what may be the words of the seer? The tower trembles to the tomb of kings, doom approaches. The dead awaken, for the hour is come for the oath-breakers. At the stone of Erech, they shall stand again and hear a horn in the hills ringing. But who were the oath-breakers? The men of Dunharrow, sworn to fight with Isildur against Sauron. When he summoned them, they would not fulfil their oaths, for the enemy had corrupted them. They fled before his wrath into the mountains and dwindled into the barren hills of Erech. There to remain forever in the grey twilight the dead who cannot rest until the heir of Isildur calls them to fulfil their oath. I do not go gladly, and only of your free will would I have you come. I will go with you, even on the paths of the dead, and to whatever end they may lead. I also will come, for I do not fear the dead. I hope that the forgotten people will not have forgotten how to fight. That we shall know when we come to Erech.
And as they prepared to set out on their journey to the haunted mountain, Frodo slept beneath a thicket of bay leaves in the marches of that land that man once called Ithilien, and Sam kept watch over him. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Food for hungry hobbitses. Rabbitses. Nice rabbits. Smeagol always helps. Find something fit for hungry hobbitses, they say. So Smeagol helps. Oh, it's... The master has come to sleep. And perhaps Sam wants to sleep. Mm. Perhaps hobbitses don't want rabbitses now. You'll soon find out whether we want them or not. Yeah, go and fill these pans with water. Bring them back. Well, Smeagol will fetch water, yes, but what does the hobbit want all the water for? His junk is washed. Never you mind. The sooner you fetch the water, the sooner you'll find out. Oh, Mr. Frodo. Too old and weary you're looking. And too thin and drawn. It's not right for a hobbit. I'm going to wake him up if I can get these conies cooked. Now, let's get a fire going. No, no, silly hobbits, they mustn't do it! Mustn't do what? Mustn't make nasty red tongues. It's dangerous, yes, it is dangerous. It burns, it kills, it will bring enemies. Yes, it will. I don't see why it should. If you don't put wet stuff on it and make a smother. But if it does, it does. I'm going to risk it. Anyhow, I'm going to stew these conies. Stew the rabbitses? Spoil beautiful meat. Smeagol, save for your poor hungry Smeagol. A young, the tender. Now, now, each to his own fashion. You needn't watch me. Go and catch another and eat it as you fancy. Somewhere private and out of my sight. No, ah, no. Go and get me some herbs. That's what a hobbit needs with a coney. A few bay leaves. Some thyme and sage, that'll do. No. Smeagol is not pleased. <sighs> and Smeagol doesn't like smelly leaves. He doesn't eat grasses and roots. Isn't no, precious. Not till he's starving or very sick. Poor Smeagol. Poor Smeagol will get into real hot water when the water boils if he don't do as he's asked. <laughs> Sam will put his head in it. Yes, <laughs> precious. <laughs> and I'd make him look for turnips and carrots and taters too. <laughs> Oh, if it was the time of year, I'd give a lot for half a dozen taters. Taters. Smeagol won't go. Oh, no, precious not. This time he's frightened. He's very tired. What's taters, precious, eh? What's taters? Potato. Potato. The gaffer's delight and rare good ballast for an empty belly. If you turn over a new leaf and keep it turned... I'll cook you some taters one of these days, I will. Ooh. Fried fish and chips served by S. Gamgee. Well, you couldn't say no to that? Yes, yes, we could. Spoiling nice fish and scorching it. Give me fish now and keep nasty chips. Oh, you're hopeless. Mm. I'll get some herbs myself, providing they're not out of sight of where you are. Mm -hmm. Go to sleep. Mm. Hmm. Uh, Sam? Ooh. <sighs> not resting. Is, is anything wrong? <laughs> no, nothing's wrong. What? 
is that smell? I've got a bit of stew for you and some broth, Mr. Frodo. Sam, Pretty good. You should have been resting, Sam. And, and hey, and lighting a fire was dangerous in these parts. But I do feel hungry. <laughs> what have you stewed? It's a present from Smeagol. Oh, what? Yeah, brace of young conies. Though I fancy Gollum's regretting them now. <laughs> Where is he? Well, I suppose he's gone off to find something for himself. He's not pleased with Sam. Oh, no, precious. He's not pleased at all. You drink your broth, Mr. Frodo. Forget about him. Yes, Sam. Well, Mr. Frodo, taters or no taters, that were a tasty pair of conies. They were, Sam. <laughs> Look, your fire's smoking. Huh? You better put it out. Oh, why, so it is. How could I have been so stupid? I'll stamp it out. What? What was that? I hope it was only a bird. But it didn't sound quite like that. It was more like somebody mimicking a bird. Yes. If that fire has brought trouble, I'll never forgive... Shh, 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 Sam. That's where the smoke came from, over there. <gasps> Voices. We shall have it like a coney in a trap. Quick, into the furnace. Yes, then we shall learn what kind of thing it is. Too late. Throw your sword. Not what we sought, but what have we found? In episode eight of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, adapted by Michael Bakewell, the part of Frodo was played by Ian Holm, Gandalf by Michael Horton and Aragorn by Robert Stevens. Sam, William Nye, Gollum, Peter Woodthorpe. Merry, Richard O'Callaghan, Pippin, John McAndrew, Treebeard, Stephen Thorne. Legolas, David Collings, Gimli, Douglas Livingstone. Theoden, Jack May, Aomer, Anthony Hyde Saruman, Peter Howell Grima Wormtongue, Paul Brook Faramir, Andrew Sear Halbarad, Martin Reed The narrator was Gerard Murphy You have been listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast